yeah, you got me excited. All cool with you and whoever invited. There's more than one, so it's gonna be a psychic. I'll call the gang if you wanna choose violence. We don't wanna hurt nobody. Girl, you got a perfect body. My crib in a cold to sack, I'm about to swerve about it. Sipping on booze, got me burping, shouting. back and uh i didn't even ask but i've got <laughs> this week we are the papered dragons uh quentin how you doing tonight i'm good and i'm proud to still not be a cop yes <laughs> and we're joined by our uh, our senior starting correspondent in the jml jay how you doing tonight i'm okay how you guys doing um like for me i'm happy When's the last time I could talk to you guys? What? This couple months ago? Yeah. Because Quentin, you were I think Quentin wasn't here, so it was just me and you, Tim, and we talked about Yes. Uh might have been the Sumo Hall show, so I guess January? Because Sumo Hall was basically around New Year's, so Yeah, That's yeah. I haven't talked to you since right? January. Since January. Yeah. It sounds That's like a- it's weird because I feel like I've talked to you, talked to you like over over the air sooner. Maybe I'm misremembering things. Right. I don't know. Uh, no, uh, February, February, but it was early okay. February. Okay. So yeah, yeah, around that time. Um, but yeah, and it was yeah, it was around then. It was a kind of a <laughs> a weird episode because I think I did a split with you and. Uh, oh yeah, it was it yeah. was the was um, it, it JML and Joseph or. Like that? No, I did. I did DDT with Evan, and then I did. Um, oh yeah, yeah, okay, I Start him with now. Jay. Because it was because it was yeah. the day of Wrestle Kingdom. Gosh. Oh yeah, that's probably true. That's probably yeah. True. <laughs> oh man. Um, and then yeah, obviously last week I did the uh, episode with Matt, which uh, was a lot of fun. People should check that out if they haven't heard it yet. Um, and. Uh, we got the rest of the story that we teased on there with uh, asking about Thatcher. Um, obviously, the, right? The rest of the story is Thatcher wanted to wrestle Tank, and that was that was how it went down, which is fucking kind of crazy. But uh, that's what's going on. Um, so, looking forward to that. Obviously, um, so guys, I don't want to be another podcast that basically just comes on here and complains about how I don't want to be a podcast that always talks about CM Punk. So I I'm, I just don't I'm just not going to talk about it. If you guys want to talk about the thing that just recently happened with him, feel free. But I don't I just I'm kind of done, you know. I mean, I'm going to watch whatever his, sure. his his Saturday show is. So yeah. like okay, like all right. Yeah. yeah, I'll I'll check it out. Um my thing is is um, if anybody's noticed me on Twitter, I haven't talked anything about punk. Um, I'm basically sick of it. And like you guys mentioned months ago um, about the, the last CM Punk controversy, these are 40-year-old men 
Some of them are close to 50. And my sentiment that my sentiment is get in a room, talk it out, do whatever you guys have to do, and make some money and stop the bullshit. That's that's my plea to everyone involved. Get in a room, talk it out. If you don't want to work together, that's fine. But let's go in there. This is capitalist me talking. Let's make right. some money off of it. You know, and, and and stop the the utter bullshit that's going on because AEW can be really really special, and and it, it already has. But with Punk and all this stuff, it's just they are too old for this shit, and it needs to stop. Yeah, I uh, I think I I agree with that, and some of the sentiments about what we were talking about off air before we started here. Similarly, anything that happens backstage at a wrestling show between wrestlers does not need to go out into the legal system and have the police or the or lawyers involved like this is wrestling um no but no but the the young bucks were assaulted tim <laughs> yeah that's true uh, they were bitten or something i've i don't even know at this point ah uh, um the real news right is wwe another racist lawsuit is, are, are we surprised that there's more racism in WWE. It's not just Vince bad and everyone else in the company is actually good and, and trying to make everything. No, there's actually tons of writers in the back who are t- equally offensive and racist. Uh, it's, it's, Jay, it's, cra- it's, it's, it's crazy that Vince McMahon, racist, uh, misogynistic, abusive, sex pest, among right. among many other things, mur- mur- murder cover upper. Oh, uh, Jesus, multiple. Like uh, pedophilia cover up, yeah, Jesus. Like, like that he would hire, uh, that he would look at people and just be like, oh, you know what? I like this person, and then that person might not have the best moral compass." Is utterly shocking that Mr. McMahon would do that. Who could believe that? Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, so Jay, you sent me this article about the lawsuit. Obviously, people have seen the the screen grabs from the legal documents of everything that's going on. But one thing that you mentioned, and it's something that I think we did talk about in the past, but it is like, even when they've recently tried to do like a, we're on a diversity kick, we're going to hire, we're going to have sensitivity readers in the room as we're coming up with the storylines and all this, like they, they announced that publicly. And then within, what did you say? A year, two years, all of those people are gone. Yeah, yeah. So I I sent this to you earlier, and um, because I was reading the document, and a lot of it, not a lot of it, but certain parts of it, it was um talking about the Apollo Cruz angle about him being this Nigerian prince or king or whatever, and talking with the fake Nigerian accent. And we, I remember, we talked about this maybe a year or two ago when it was happening in real time. And I think it was my first my first guest spot here on the show. And yeah. um it was funny because around that time they hired two black female writers to come into the writing room. And they, well they didn't announce it. It got leaked to the people that um basically do WWE propaganda and it was all over social media people were praising it saying oh my god they're they're including black women into the writing room. This hasn't been done before and all this stuff. And now all of them are gone. Um, and especially it's funny because the woman that's doing the suit now, 
um, she wasn't one of the women that was announced being um, or, or reported being the new hires. Um, both of those women are gone from WWE. Um, one of them it was like right bef- right after like the news broke that she was hired. Um, someone found the po- a podcast about her and she was make- making jokes about it and she didn't know about the product and it was either Randy Orton or Bobby Lashley. I, I forgot. I think it was but, Lashley. Yeah, she was making fun of him or whatever, and she got let go really quickly. So, but yeah, all three of the women were are gone now, yeah, um, which perfect. is kind of crazy. But I was looking through yeah. the through the document earlier this morning, and um, the woman Brittany Abrams, she's not playing. She's got the Cochran firm behind her. Um, so it's, it's weird because, um, she does name Stephanie and Vince in the lawsuit and that's going to be the, you know, that's going to be in the headlines or whatever, but, um, doesn't really outline them saying anything about them. Um, it's mostly just because they were in charge of creative, so they have to eat it. They, you know, they were in charge, so they have to, their names have to be put into it. And the lawyer actually names Vince and Bruce Pritchard by name, saying that they pray they praised uh, Abrams' work, which kind of got my my eyebrows raised a little bit because I'm like, Ugh, you know, because um, if Vince and Bruce are are praising you, then Ugh, what are you what are you actually doing? But um, it was mostly senior writers throughout this document that were being. Um, the subject of what was what was the the accusations basically of a hostile work environment and racial and racial discrimination um and throughout the document so so that was that and it's some of the, some of the pitches are just wild like um reggie who was i think now in nxt he was pitched to wear wear a dress with carmella and Russell yeah. in, in a dress. Now, mind you, he was on national TV on SmackDown um, when he was doing this angle, so that would have been ridiculous. And then the Apollo Crews thing with him as the Nigerian prince that we talked about in real time being really, really bad. Um, and there was there was some other... Oh, and the Mansoor uh, pitch that, yeah. that's, really, that's really fucked up. Like... Um, yeah, yeah. I'm looking at it now. It's, uh, was 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 Mansoor the one they were they were gonna say they were gonna say was behind the 911 attacks? Yeah, like his like his uh, secret was that he would he wanted to do it, but yeah. people reached out. Re- no, but the thing is, he's from Saudi Arabia, so that's already like because yeah. you you do business with the Saudis and we all know, and anybody knows with nine 11, the backstory about that, yada, yada, yada. Um, I mean, the official Saudi Twitter account was, was taking credit for doing nine 11 relatively recently. So maybe they wouldn't care that much. And that's true. <laughs> but, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, <sighs> you have that. And it's, it was just really like people, when people research what Mansoor, how old Mansoor yeah. was when it happened, he was six. So, it's uh. it's really fucked up, and then not just that, but then it was pitched as a love triangle with him, Aaliyah, and Angel Garza 
as in and um basically they were it was it was really really fucked up angle where um you know angel garza would was gonna um blame mansoor for something and they break up and all this stuff and um basically trick her into dating him and and you know abram's basically called bullshit saying it was just kind of a it was you know not kind of it was sexist angle um so yeah i I plead anyone to go read this document because it's really really eye-opening like to for this to happen like it 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 reads something like it was pitches from 2003 not 2020 like it's really and and i think that's the thing too is like it's like this isn't an old writer from from 15 years ago talking about what they were doing in the mid aughts. This is someone. This is stuff that they were doing just now. That some of people even made it to TV. Like the Bianca Belair stuff was making it to TV. That Apollo Cruz thing made it to TV. Yeah. Like this. This is stuff that's still prevalent and happening. And like not to go like into like our whole like Quentin and Tim get real deep in the like social <laughs> sciences bag but it's like this is why I do the whole thing about like why representation like doesn't really matter and it's not a real thing unless it's like comes with like material changes to like environments and things like that because they'll sit there and hire black writers black voices and leak it out to leak it out to WWE um uh, prop, prop, propaganda, propaganda uh, feeders like Satin and whoever else, and people be like, "Oh, WWE is trying to be better." Look, the, the same people that praise them for having Kofi Kingston and Sasha Banks as champions, like, "Oh, look at them! We have black champions. We have black writers," and then that's what happens to the black writers, or like the black champions like don't get treated very well. <laughs> like, like these are yeah. things that happen. So when people like go on and on about this representation stuff and wrestling and like wanting it to be a thing that matters so much it's like this isn't a real thing this is like a fictionalized world on top of that on top of that where like no material changes are happening to the real real world it doesn't matter but also like they're oh they're doing they're doing this to make you think that they're inclusive to make you think that they care when they don't give a fuck, stop making stop making inclusion this thing that like means so much because it doesn't. No, no. I mean, you know, this is this is. I really do not want to get even deeper into this because I, I have tons of thoughts about it and like, you know, the the people who really really love to push that narrative, the people that like you know nothing about us without us kind of thing, where it's like people who are basically just caping to get fucking jobs in the industry. And it's not really about actually changing anything. And it's like, I mean, whatever, that's cool. But <laughs> I fuck, I, I don't even want to talk about, you know, people doing NFT commercials, whatever. Um, Like it's, the, it feels like the same kind of thing where it's just like people who, who are cashing in on fucking like, you know, trying to actually care about the community or whatever. Um, but the one thing that as you're talking about that and mentioning like all this stuff that has always irked me just a little bit, and I just want to say it here because I don't think I ever have, is uh the big E championship run and um and fucking like Lanza always trying to take credit for being like so correct and right on that from the beginning and the first person who called it and knew when it's like 
Quentin, you were the first, you did like instant reaction audio by yourself. Obviously, I instantly agreed with everything you had to say, but it's also like you weren't like Lanza in just saying like WWE is not going to actually push this guy. You like were directly talking about the race implications of the entire thing, which is 100% correct. Um, And that's always just really fucking annoyed me because if anyone deserves to take the victory lap on seeing what that was going to be from the moment and saying it and calling it out there, it's you, but whatever. Just, yeah. Uh, I mean, like, it's... <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> it, it, it's, I just... I just wish people would be better with this shit. I understand that, like, that, that at this point, this is just the kind of like political and social identities that we've been indoctrinated by. That like that representation in movies and music and like oh like this black film got snubbed for an Oscar or this black artist got snubbed <laughs> for a Grammy. Like that these things matter and that these it's like who fucking cares? Like I just yeah. I I just can't care about that when like. And when when a kid just got shot in the head by his fucking neighbor, like I I, I, I can't care about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. There. I mean, there was just the 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 kid who got shot because someone like what was it? Like they went to the wrong house or whatever. They thought they were at their house and they shot somebody. And like that was they went to the wrong door and shot somebody. That was fucking crazy. And then yeah. Oh my god. And um, and then and, and then like an, another. And then another neighbor sees it and he's asking for help and just watching the fucking kid just bleed and writhe in pain. It's like, like that, like that's happening. Like, I don't understand how I can sit, how you can sit there and like see that this is like the real world and these are the real things that happen. And it's like, it's like, man, you know what? Like, you guys should just have more black people on TV. Oh my God. Ah, um, I don't even know what the fuck I was going to talk about next or what there was to even talk about next. We might as well just well, talk about wrestling, I guess. Oh, go ahead. Well, I was about to say, um, we're recording this during Dynamite and it just oh. got, just got, um, news is broke and Tony Khan has said that Roderick Strong is all elite. So, oh, sick. That's good. Oh, uh, you know, see, like I saw Roddy, like, I saw like the like the name Roddy trending, and like I was thinking that because it, it, like the Grizz- that the Grizzlies are playing and they have a player named David Roddy on their <laughs> team, uh, and like I was thinking like oh maybe it's pertaining pertaining to that, but okay, that's 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 cool, that's cool. That's I mean yeah, good for him. I mean, I I don't even really want to get into AEW stuff at, right now. Like, <laughs> what does that fucking mean for the roster? Like, do they really need another? I mean. This is a wild thing to even call Roddy, but an ex WWE guy. Like, you know, do they need another one? But I mean, it is Roddy, and how great he is. So it is kind of like okay. I wonder um, where. It. I wonder where. Well, I know you didn't want to talk about it, but I just wonder: no. Do you put him on Ring of Honor, or do you keep him on AEW? Like, I think to, me, I think, to me, I think, to me, I think Roddy's an ROH guy. Yeah, I can. Oh. I would definitely do that, and like, he would be someone where like. I would send some of the guys that we aren't using over there to like work with Roddy, mm-hmm. right? Like, I like, yeah. I, like I, I would be like, maybe like, for, well, first off, you're gonna give me, you're gonna give me Roddy versus Darby Allen. That's first. I don't yeah, give a fuck. Exactly. I don't give a fuck what else you do. That's first. Mm-hmm. And if I don't get that, that's criminal. But after yeah. that, then you could do whatever you want to do. But I need Roddy versus Darby Allen first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean. I feel like, yeah, that's the spot for him. It doesn't feel like there's a ton 
I mean, there is a ton that he could do in AEW, but it's just probably not going to happen. Um, yeah, it's just, so it's just being, it's just, it's just being realistic. Yeah. Like, yeah. like I would, like I would love if like we. I'm not. I'm not into the whole powerhouse Hobbs and Wardlow trading the belt thing. I'm just. I just haven't no. been into this. Like, uh. like, like if you were, if you're gonna give me Roddy as a heel going out there as a TNT champ, like just going out there and do Roddy shit. Yes, that's like that sounds amazing to me. Mm-hmm. Just demolish everybody. There's like so many guys that I want to see. I'm thinking like, you know, talking about ROH. I think Yuta, obviously. I want to see that. I want to see. Lee Moriarty versus Roddy. Um, <clears throat> even something like Swerve and, and Roddy would be great. And then I'm thinking like Garcia and Roddy. Imagine that one, which is like one we haven't even seen before. Like there's a ton there, obviously. Um, I mean, fuck, you could do Keith Lee and Roddy again, which you haven't done in so long. And like those guys fucking absolutely kick ass together. There's like tons of tons of matches that could happen. Um, but if he does end up being like an ROH, you know, upper mid card kind of guy or even like top of the top of the card kind of guy that's a great place for him too but again what is it i'm like somewhat down on AEW if i'm perfectly honest just because it feels like it's so much stuff so many guys so much not i should should say so many wrestlers so so much stuff that i could be excited for and then like none of it really sticks around and happens like this four pillars thing is like almost close to what i like fantasy booked as like what they should do coming out of the Danielson Iron Man match. Um, but then like it just it's just not working for me. And it's like, okay, like I thought that this was a good idea and the way to go, but it's not being executed in a way that I think makes sense or works. So it's just like it's kind of funny to see that because it's like, oh yeah, like yeah, this is what they should do. And then they didn't they did it, but they didn't do it right. So it makes me just not really care as much as I used to care about AEW. Um that said, Quentin, I think we're gonna review the pay-per-view next week, probably. <laughs> Yeah, I guess I guess I guess we should. Yeah, um, but uh, I know Jay. I feel like uh, if you got any other thoughts or anything else. Um, yeah, I mean, you're not the only one that thinks that way right. about AEW. I've talked to other people, and I kind of feel the same way. Like, um, I don't know, AEW is not not like top priority in terms of must watch wrestling. Um, not saying that WWE has done anything special or anything like that. It's just there's so much other wrestling I could just watch, like stardom um, right. <laughs> that we're going to talk about. But um, yeah, like AEW's not, it's not been what it used to be. Um, but hopefully, hopefully, okay. you know, it just, it goes in waves. And I feel like that's, that's what it's been for me in terms of AEW. It, to me, it's, it's up and down, but, and I, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch the pay-per-view and, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It just it, it hasn't been has been the same for me personally. Yeah, I I do think that it's the punk thing. I think that punk is hanging over. He's a big shadow hanging over, and everything feels like it's like in stasis, waiting for punk at this point, and it just makes it hard for anything to like to be invested in anything. Um, before, sucks, well, but before we move on to stardom, I just wanted to say I've been reading this book um, called "In Pursuit okay. of Revolutionary Love." Uh, precarity power communities by uh by joy james um she's worked in like uh, the academic world for 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 a long time like worked alongside angela davis actually for for a good portion um of her of her uh, of her work and then went on to like have like really like strong and valid critiques of angela davis as like a revolutionary figure and how they kind of like airbrush 
revolution, specifically Angela Davis and things like that, and like highlight her while political prisoners are like are rotting in prison and things like that. Uh, and while Angela Davis still kind of like cozies up, cozies up to the academia side of things, and um, this book is really good. And I've been doing a thread of quotes from the book, but yeah, uh, just wanted to give um, yeah. some love to a book that I've been enjoying a lot. Yeah, I saw, um, and I don't even know who sent it. You may have been the one who sent it to me, but I saw uh, a video of that author giving like yes, a, yeah, yeah. I think I sent that to you. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That was like months back, and like totally into it, and like really, really interesting stuff. And it's funny because I saw. Um, Oh God, John Waters the other night do like a, a one man show thing at a college and uh, and like everything, you know, it's fun and it's entertaining and everything like that. But there was one thing he said that irked me, which was he was talking about the holidays and like he started out like he was doing this thing where he starts everything out in the beginning of his thing. Like he picks different topics and he goes through and he was talking about how they're problematic and then he made some jokes about it. And then on the second half, he kind of like circled back and went down the same list of everything, but talked about how you could like fix them or make them better or whatever. And he was talking about all the holidays and he was like, oh, you know, MLK Day, whatever. Like he's a womanizer, he's canceled. So, you know, get rid of him and just make it Angela Davis week. And that was the one thing where I was like, I don't know if that's necessarily an upgrade, but okay. No, yeah, like, and, I, I yeah, get you. Yes. I get you. Yeah, like not, not really an upgrade. Like, <laughs> you know, it's just, yeah. When you, when you actually go and like look at it and analyze things and start to question some stuff, it's like, you know, that's not really like that much <laughs> no. better, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's tough. It's tough because it is like controlled opposition, useful idiot, like or or just a craven, like again, like the same thing we're saying, like a ladder puller, the person who's like just trying to. I got my spot, and I'm not really that worried about helping out anybody else getting up here. Or like me. you know, like uh, end of the day, like someone like that that the state just weaponized and exactly yeah. and you and used to be like, hey, we're not racist, so here we we didn't we did we didn't let this black woman go to jail, this light-skinned black woman go to jail while meanwhile the other, the other people involved in that case went to jail. So, like, you know, hey, we're not racist. Uh, and just exactly. using her to using her to get using her to get reelected or get in office. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's get into the lighter stuff. Um Stardom Grand or All-Star Grand Queendom Reported attendance of 5,500 in the building. Um, obviously, stardom. This is the thing. I don't want to fucking cap for stardom. I don't want to defend stardom. I think I hear people say like, oh, you know, this is not emotional. I'm not invested in this because I've covered it for over a decade. And like my entire identity on the Internet is linked to a promotion like Quentin, Jay, you guys have known me for a while. Like, when you think of me and you think of Joshi wrestling, when you think of me and you think of stardom wrestling, like, you don't think, like, oh, Tim's the big Joshi guy, right? Never been, never, like, that's never been my thing. Um, So, like, I don't have that, like, you know, I don't need to cover my tracks and be like, oh, I'm not just, like, into this because I'm a homer or a stan for this company or whatever. But, like, stardom is a, is a big fucking company. And I don't want to defend stardom because... Stardom is also part of a giant corporation, and I don't like that. I don't like that there's, like, this thing happening in Japan that seems like it's spreading to America. As people used to say, if you want to know what's going to happen in American wrestling, watch what's happening in Japan 10 years ago, um, right? Like, or if you want, I guess they say, if you want to see what's going to happen in America in 10 years, see what's happening in Japan right now. 
Um, mm-hmm. Like the fact that these wrestling companies are getting bought up by big conglomerates and they're kind of multiple companies all under the same umbrella thing. It's like, oh, wait, what the fuck? Endeavor, UFC, WWE, uh, AEW, ROH, all being owned by the same. Like, holy shit, if that's not true, again, where like the conglomerates are are kind of doing the same thing that's been happening in Japan. So I don't, I got no reason to back stardom in any kind of argument or fight, right? Like, but it's just... <laughs> You could say, oh, you know, yeah, they've got a lot of buzz. There's tons of podcasts talking about them. They're selling tickets, all this stuff. But you you can't pay the bills with buzz, right? But you also can't pay the bills based on a legacy of uh, good wrestling that's not there anymore. So, like, it's just weird to me to, to for anyone to to shit on Stardom in comparison or try to to defend other companies. Like, Stardom's the number two company in Japan. I just, it's it's just the truth. I don't know. Like, Jay, yeah, like, I mean, yeah, oh, I mean, Quentin, I mean so, yeah, at this point, it's like, it's not it's not really a conversation again dragon gate always has a dragon gate case because of the fact that they can tour all over and do and do well they'll go to they'll go to kobe go to tokyo go to wherever like and draw in like whatever town they go to like that's the case that exists for dragon gate right but like in terms of ticket sales like i just it's stardom has become number two like it's it's like it's just that's just kind of where we're at with these things. Like, you there's there's no reason to want to downplay it just because you thought that the women and the, the women were better in the '90s. Like, there's no really there's no real re- reason to downplay it. Like, there was a there was a doldrum where business wasn't doing great. There were talent there were talented women, and the business and the business wasn't there. Like, the business wasn't there for all of Japan for all of Japan Japanese wrestling. Then, as the Japanese, then as the Japanese wrestling economy is picking back up, women, the women's wrestling is still lagging a little bit behind, and now we're back to a point where they have it back rolling again. Like, I don't know why there'd be anything negative that you'd want to say about them when, like, they had like granted, like, you know, this is Bushy Road backing and things like that, but like, Stardom had to fight for a while in order to even get to this point. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, we've talked about it, but, you know, there was that time there was the time where the only way you could get stardom matches was like you had to be nice to like this creep on Facebook. And that was the only way that you could watch stardom. (laughs) Right. Like, I think we all remember that. Like, but yeah, Jay, what are your thoughts? Um, yeah. And it took it back to a time. It was really weird because, um, I guess how all three of us got together was through Trask with rest with words and, um, it was funny, just my backstory of that is, um, I was doing all Japan women's like archival recaps on the message board and, you know, Trash messages me and he's like, you want to write on the website? I'm like, sure. I'm thinking I'm going to do that. And he's like, you're going to do stardom. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so and uh. it was, it was really weird. So, but at the time I was, I had like a one eye on stardom. I wasn't really into it. I guess that was 2015, 2016 around that time. And I've been watching, kind of been watching ever since, um, which is really weird. But yeah, I've seen the evolution of of the company and they've, yeah, it's been going through and went through a lot just to get to this point. And, and for me, like I, I've like, just like AEW, it's been up and down with waves. I think some people think I'm a star and cheerleader, but um, I've really seen, the highs and the really, really lows, um, literally like the highs, what, what happened 
Sunday is probably the highest moment. You know, lows in in terms of death. Like there's, there's like there's no. It's a weird. It's. I saw somebody talk about this maybe years like a couple like a year or two ago. Like stardom's almost is the weird um, modern version of world class, where it's like. Um, just so much stuff that's gone on throughout the company that, um, but it's, but it's really influential and it's really fought their way into a top position that can't be denied. Um, and with, with what you were talking about before in terms of being the number two promotion, there they are. Um, and it's, it was hard for me because, um, I was a little bit hesitant when they got bought up by Bushiro in 2019. Um, I didn't like it in terms of what the scene would be. And I've ultimately I've been proven right. I mean, um, Ice Ribbon is not doing well. Seedling, which was my favorite company at the time, is not doing well. Um, you know, Oz Academy, Oz Academy has faded off. And the only two Jewish promotions that people really talk about is Stardom and TJPW. And that's because both of them are owned by um conglomerates you know major corporations so, that you know, are publicly so yeah, yeah publicly you were like send like send like, like we remember like the moment the moment the kind of momentum that felt like sendai girls was getting at one point and now that's just not really there anymore either right right they yeah. used to they used to do two or three shows a year that would drew two thousand or twenty five hundred people um really big shows like in, in around the area and they don't do that anymore. Um hopefully they'll pick back up but you know they just don't do that anymore. It's right now. It's just Stardom and TGPW, and and TGPW is at a smaller level than Stardom is right now. And um, when Stardom getting getting bought by Bushiro in 2019, able to offer these wrestlers full time contracts and able to bring in a big star like Mercedes, um, they are the the leader right now. The the only competition they have is is. It's basically the brother promotion in New Japan right now because Dragon Gate, even though Dragon Gate is there's heavy influence on Stardom with Dragon Gate, um, Dragon Gate's on tough times right now. And to me, um, I'll be point blank honest, they don't have stars like they used to, they don't have personalities. Um, they have great wrestling, but I don't think that really helps when you have a turnover. Because I it's funny because I listened to Jay, Jay Church on the open the voice gate and he said that their audience turnover is like every three years because most of their audience is women. And he said like their, their audience turnover is that rapid. Whereas I look at stardom, you know, you, you have the ELPs of the world talk, um, making fun of uh, the stardom audience, but they're there and it's growing. Yeah. And <laughs> even though it, it might be old, old, older men, like it's, it's weird, but um they're coming. They're, they're well. I shouldn't have said. They're 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 going <laughs> to the shows. Yeah. Sure, sure. Yeah. I mean, obviously, like Joshi fans have a a rough like kind of a connotation to it, and especially in yeah. the West and all that. But like the quality of this show and the quality of the talent, it's hard to like. I mean, it's easy to make fun of it and and to kind of cringe at it, but like it is kind of easy to also see like why someone who just actually appreciates wrestling would be a fan of this company, right? Like, you know, like those things don't necessarily have to be connected. Unfortunately, a lot of times they are, 
Um, but like, yeah, like this is a, this was a really good show. Like, it's weird to be like, oh, if you're a fan of this, then you must be a pervert when like it's actually like a great wrestling show. Yeah, yeah. Now that's, that's the thing, and it's it's starting to when I when I start watching Star, and that's what it was. It was like kind of like the the missing thing that I was seeing at the time. But granted, at 2015, like WWE was good. Like WWE in ring right. was good with NXT. So you had that stardom. Um, New Japan was good in 2015. You you had several options, and like wrestling was basically ever like you could go anywhere and have good wrestling. And it was it was basically the rise of you know you said you had to message people on Facebook, but you know for for a link. But if you looked, what I did was try to go alternative means and you know find on Daily Motion and stuff. It was basically yeah. the that digital age. I know um, Dylan Hills talked about the rise of of um of just found footage basically in the, in the 2000s of what you know the PWO crowd would get to um evaluate older older wrestling matches but i think in the 2010s it was the rise of just um digital digital media and how accessible it is and how it's kind of cultivated more fans more fans than i've seen in the past and it really helped people get connected to be excited for a Kenny Omega or a Jay White or or a Kyrie or a EO Shirai or a Tony Storm or, you know, Mercedes, you know, the clamoring Mercedes coming into start, like all this stuff. Like now people were asking when a certain wrestler lost, like, are they going to WWE or stuff like that? I think it's just the rise of digital media and the access to streaming really just, enhance everybody to able to become fans of wrestling from all around the world. It wasn't like that, you know, in the DVD era in the two thousands, um, we had to wait like a month to get all this stuff. So at the, at the very least, you know, so I think it was just that. And, um, right now it's because wrestling's more accessible than ever. Um, it's really helped, I think, wrestling in ring overall, and the Starm show proves it. Like, I know some people online were have never seen it before, and they were just like, "Whoa, what's like?" But it's it's funny because like they've been doing this for a while, ever since the 2019 acquisition. There's been rough spots, but they've been able to do put it together, and I think they're they're back. <laughs> like Starm yeah. Starm's back in in a big way. Yeah, not just back, like. Again, like at some point, you gotta start looking at the roster they have right now, and it's like, oh, at some point, it's like you have to start putting it in like the all-time roster conversation. Because when you have some, when you have people like Suzu Suzuki and Starlight Kid being like openers or damn near like middle of the card, Momo Watanabe's in the pre-show. Like, yeah, at some point, it's like, man, like this roster is just out of this fucking world. It is it's just so ridiculous where we are at this point in time with the roster. Um, if you guys don't mind, I, kind of, I think that I'd be more interested in starting with the main stuff and then we're, and then working and then working our way down. It's so funny because that crossed my mind earlier. I was like, we should we should start at the main event. I I I don't love doing that, and you know we've talked about this before, but I kind of thought about it. But now that I mean, if you've said it, then I'm I'm down to to go for it because. I guess why the hell not? Um, 
But I do want to just piggyback really quickly off of something you mentioned there now, because we won't get to it. Probably we may even not get to it at all, but you talk about the talent level on the pre-show, like um, the club Venus, like Jesus Christ. Like when you talk about people leaving, are they going to WWE? And then like, you know, when it comes they're, to they're good. Though, though, though the club, the club Venus girls are yeah. really good. <laughs> Those three girls are all fantastic. Like, obviously, I think Mariah May was the best out of the, the you know, the you know, yeah, yeah, Mar- yeah, Mariah May is really good. But Jesse and, and Zena looked fucking phenomenal. It's just like, yeah, like this roster, they bring in these random, you know, outsiders for their Gaijin, you know, group or whatever. And like, what the fuck? So, yeah, but um, we could start with the main event. Tam- or Julia defending the World of Stardom title against Tam Nakano. Um I mean, the rivalry that built this house, like, you know, obviously Mercedes is a big part of the the buzz and why this thing is growing. And the Shuryu Tommy feud was like really hot and got a lot of, you know, people who were not already into stardom to check it out and then pay attention. But if we're talking about like, like you're talking about there, Jay, if you're talking about going back to 2015, 2016, and when you were mentioning that, I did pop in my head because you're like, I don't know, maybe I don't, maybe I took it the wrong way, but it sounded a little bit like you were denigrating the, uh, the how what the wrestling quality was back then. But I'm like, okay, well they, you know, they were bringing in Tony Storm and Shayna Baszler and and no, uh, no, no. Nicole I, I... Savoy, and you know what I mean? Like they were bringing in girls that I really liked who were not getting a chance to do anything in America, and they were actually getting to have good matches in Japan against like Akari Hojo and, and uh, Io and Mio Shirai and stuff. But, but, um, but again, uh, sorry, Jake, as I cut you off as you were going to defend yourself there. But before uh, you defend yourself, I'll finish what I was saying is that we hearken back to that time building up into now where stardom is right now. This is the feud. This is the rivalry that I think main events, the big show and is the rivalry and the feud that has been the through line that has built stardom from, from then until now. Um, and a lot of that has to do with Julia being clearly the star that they were banking on to build this meteoric rise. But the other part of that is Tam being the unsuspecting heart and soul of the promotion and what became the perfect foil to Julia. But Jay, you can talk about the match, you can talk about the rivalry, and you can defend yourself uh, first. All right, so I'll defend myself out. So around that time, I was just saying, like, that was actually good, like, really good wrestling. And it was just, I was saying, like, all around the world, it was really good wrestling. And it was sort of refreshing because um, there was, you know, we talked about earlier in the period of women's wrestling not really, in Japan not really being noted. Um, I thought that was the time where it just started to pick up because you had a, a, a magical roster, like, almost a magical roster in itself there. When you had Io Shirai and Kari Hojo and Mayu Itani um, coming off the scandal of the Akiyasakawa um, Yoshigo incident, you're coming off that, and then you're bringing in um, Tony Storm, like you said, Tony Storm and Shayna Baszler and Nicole Savoy and um, just a bunch Nixon of other, Newell. you know, Nixon Newell, uh, Kaylee Ray, um, yes. you know, just a bunch of. Um, Viper, who's now Piper Niven in 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 uh, WWE, um, just a bunch of, of foreigners just getting a, a chance. Thunder Rosa, like Thunder Rosa, got her first shot in Japan in with uh with Stardom. I remember she was tagging with um the first ever Stardom Politics. card I saw. 
Yeah, she was tagging with Holodead, but the first ever Stardom uh, show I ever saw was a Corrigan. It was like a, and she was in a three match. I think it was her, um, Chris Wolf, and someone else um, in a, in a three three way match. So um, I might be wrong, but I'm, I remember Thunder Rosa being there, and it's just it's crazy how you know she is where she is now, but. Um, just them being like sort of this little diamonds in the rough to growing the company to now, um, it's purely amazing. And then we talked about Julia. Um, listen, what Bushirobe did, getting her at the middle of the night, basically in the nick of time, <laughs> right before the Bushirobe purchase got got announced. Um, her switching from Ice Ribbon to um, to Stardom. It was. I know people said like people were down on her, and I I've said this on the, on the podcast before. That was the best thing that ever happened to her, um, and it looked like she was right because Ice Ribbon's fallen and fallen apart, um, and most of the their roster has moved over, you know, and the development's now moving over to to Stardom, including Suzu Suzuki, who's um, some people have theorized she might be signed already with Stardom. Um, you know, Golden Week is coming up for for Stardom, um, Golden Week in Japan, and they basically run every day during Golden Week because everybody it's a national it's a national holiday week for for the country. So wrestling companies all all over the country run um, just to make a bunch of money. And Suzu's because um, she has left prominence, but we'll talk about that later. Um, but yeah, with with Julia. Um, just coming to this match. I know Quint, you were excited about this match, but um, yeah, this from the Bushi, the purchase of the Bushi Road era, they have focused themselves just because Arisio Shiki um, retired and Hanukkah passed away. That this was the main feud, like the feud that was supposed to be was supposed to be Hana versus Julia. That didn't happen. Arisio, and the other feud was supposed to be Arisio Shiki and Tam, Tam Nakano. And the rematch never happened for them. So what we're left with was Tam Julia. And it's basically carried the company. Um, been the feud of the company from the Bushiro years from 2020 on. And they wrestled in the same main event of the first ever pay-per-view. Um, you know, the tag the, the Wonder of Stardom tournament, you know, uh Julia submitted Tam. Tam didn't Tam passed out. Um, with the Stealth Viper, and it's just been great storytelling from them and then on, and then Tam beats Julia in Budokan Hall, and we talked about that when it happened, and um, then the Five Star Grand Prix, they've just built this story up really well, and and I thought this match would be a lot more violent in terms of blood and guts, just because of what happened at the press conference when Julia you know, um, they shot the angle with Julia, you know, headbutted her um, and bladed, even though Daichi, if you watched it, Daichi, Daichi Mariano, the referee, came in and, and slipped Tam the blade and she got some color. So I thought that would happen, but um, this match was a lot more in terms of more violent, traditional violence in ring in terms of the escalation and terms of uh the counters and the um the earlier spot and where 
uh, Julia puts her through the table and the ramp 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 spots, and then um, just escalating into um, you know trading finishers and um, t- you know Julia almost getting Tam with a wrist clutch. Um, Northern Lights bomb that would have ended it, you know, and and just it was to me this was um watching this show um on Sunday I come in unspoiled because I was I wasn't gonna stay up and watch it um live it was I'm getting too old to watch it I've done it a bunch of times on New Japan just can't do it now um to watch this unspoiled I was completely shocked that Julia lost and. Um, it got me. It, it it really did because um the booking of this feud it really really thought this would be the end of the feud and Julia just started her her world stardom reign and we've been conditioned that when you get the world of stardom championship it's a year long plus of these title reigns models what New Japan does and it didn't do that this time and it completely shocked me but I thought this was a great match, and it might have exceeded the match at Budokan Hall. Like the, I, I adored that Budokan Hall match. It might have exceeded that to me. It was that damn good of a match. Um, I know some people are criticizing it because they wanted it to be like a like something you saw in the feud, like them going at each other um, instead of the opening, you know, minute or two, you know, exchanging holds instead of have them punch each other but it escalated really really fast it only lasted about two minutes and then you just go and by the end of it it was just an amazing ride and my hat's off to both of them they didn't have to do all that um but this that's this match put um this stardom show to me is one of the great stardom shows probably the best stardom show i've ever seen put it up there and it's probably the best show i've seen all year and this match, if you haven't seen this match, go watch this match immediately. It was that damn good to me, to in my eyes. Yeah, Tim, Quentin, <laughs> go ahead. Yeah, I have to agree with you. Uh, we do have a, uh, I will say, a last minute run-in secret um, shadow guest here. Uh, the core Wu that everyone knows from uh, from his wonderful, you know, archiving and his blog, uh, Spin Wheel Kick. Did send me his thoughts and notes on the show, which I appreciate uh, getting them straight from the straight from the source. There, this match, <laughs> his his take is very very light, which is just like they went from shoot headbutts to roll ups, which felt backwards. Felt like the match peaked in the middle and then continued for another ten minutes. And I love Korwu. Obviously, me and him cross over in a lot of ways in our taste, but I can't say I completely agree with the, the, that take. Um, but I definitely see it, and I like to to get that kind of insight, which is like. Um, you know, the other side on on some of this stuff, which I can understand. Like, I can understand seeing this and thinking that it was a little bit too long and that um, that it was like, I I don't know. I, like, maybe it was they cut a pace early on that they weren't going to be able to keep and they had to settle down into the wrestling. But But I kind of like that because of the history of these two. And I think that it makes sense because of the history of these two, which is that they fucking hate each other like out of every other rivalry on the show every other rivalry and there's one particularly that i think probably a lot of people will not appreciate or enjoy because there's there is a little bit more emotional like 
baggage to it and personality in a way that makes it like not feel like just the straightforward what you expect from a wrestling situation in a way because it feels a little bit too much like yeah like drama and emotion and stuff that's not what you're used to in wrestling um but none of the other rivalries none of the other like kind of you know big time buildups here on this show have this same and stardom in general there's not a lot of rivalries and feuds that have this kind of real animosity and heat between each other where like these two just fucking hate each other. So the second that they're in the ring with each other, they both see red and they both can't help but go for fucking go for the jugular and try to kill each other instantly. And it's like, it's not even that like, oh, you know, I'm at the point where like, I, you know, I have this rivalry with this person, but I respect them. No, like they hate each other to the bone and they're just, they can't help but try to kill each other the second they're in the ring. And then it sets in and then eventually it catches up to them and they remember like, oh yeah, this, they're, my opponent is too good. Like I can't just kill them. Like I want to, I'm going to have to actually wrestle. I'm going to actually have to beat them. It's not going to be, I'm not, I can't just let my rage take over or else like I'm just, they're just going to kick my ass. So I have to actually wrestle and I have to bring out the big guns and I have to do the unthinkable, you know, to be able to put them down. And that's why this rivalry works. Because there's not a ton of rivalries in stardom that have this this level of they even after this match, it's like these two still fucking hate each other. And it's not an act. And it's not like, oh, I'm edgy, I'm giving you the finger. It's like, I fucking hate you. I don't want to be around you. Um I I Jay, were you like popping in there a little bit or or just no, no, no. Like it's funny because uh, Julia actually says that. <laughs> In the, if you find the yeah. translation, she actually says, "I don't want to see your face anymore." <laughs> so, right. Exactly. That's it. Yeah. And speaking of her face, that was my next point. It's like Tam at the beginning of the match versus Tam at the end of the match looked like two different people. She was fucking taken through the ringer, and that's I love Tam because she at the end of it she shows it. Like I just. I love the the look. It's like a it's like the original Street Fighter, right? Where they show the sprites at the beginning and then at the end when they're talking shit and they look beat up. Like uh, it's like when Tam at the end, she looks like she's been through a fucking war. Um, and obviously after this match, it's well deserved. She has been through a war. Um, hair asunder, fucking everything on her face swollen. I mean, this was phenomenal. And I'm with you. Like it's kind of tough, like coming at this and, and opening the the podcast review talking about this match because. I mean, honestly, in some ways, I think I was like, I kind of dislike it. And there is some context that I think is not great, as you talked about with the Red Belt um, being a title that you don't expect having this short of a reign. Looking through the history, it's like there's not a ton of super short reigns that didn't have a reason behind it, at least like something where where like, you know, someone was leaving or blah, 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 whatever. Like, and it's been a long time, even since we've had a short reign. Um and the issue was not necessarily that it wasn't good here, but the issue was like, um, I think that the setup was good. It made it surprising. I would say my issue is just that like the IWGP title, the reigns have been so back and forth and so hot potato and having that before this, um, I think just kind of hurts the, the impact of how special it is that this title is changing hands so quickly. Um, mm-hmm. And just makes me worry more that like, oh, no, is this just going to be part of the booking now instead of appreciating that like this was a special situation. But in the context of the show, it was very good because coming into this, it's like, OK, five title matches, five title changes. You do not expect that. 
right? Like that's shocking. Um, so like that was why in the main event I was like, okay, they've changed all the titles, all the other titles change hands. There's no way they're gonna change the title here. And then they do, and it's to Tam, who I adore and really wanted her to win this title. So fantastic. But Quentin, what are your thoughts on the match? Uh, to the booking aspect, I think that's what makes it such a great decision is because well, one, I think watching it live gives you a different gives you a, watching it unspoiled gives you like a different level of, of appreciation for it and the booking that goes into it because you're invested in, in the Tam story, but you're not sure that they would have her win here, right? Like you're pointing out, hey, this is Julia. Like she just won the belt. Like he's only had three defenses. You know, this, you're not going to end Julia's reign this early, are you? And then you mentioned there's all these other title changes already. Like me, like you know, Mina had Mina had already won the title, and we're like, oh, Mina won. That means they can go ahead and have Tam lose. Like, it's just a thing that you don't really expect. You're not really expecting it, and I think that's what makes it work here is because this was a thing that you legitimately just did not expect. Uh, but the IWGB Women's Title, I mean, Sasha had only had two title defenses and two men like in two matches. Like, I th- I, th- I feel like. It doesn't shock me that we're moving on to Mayu uh, this quickly. We'll, we'll get we'll get to that in a second, but I think we can. I don't know. I, I, obviously, I think Sasha's going to still do Stardom, but I'm guessing we agree that this seems like she's going to be on her way to AEW like sooner sooner than we think. I guess. Yeah, um, I mean, I'm. Oh, go ahead. But, but so I'm, I'm not really gonna like. I don't. So I don't really feel like the IWGP Women's Title thing makes it feel. Uh, diminished here just because that belt is new and Mercedes was I, I gotta get used to calling him Mercedes but Mercedes is good it was really like a star attraction here look who our first champion was type of thing more than anything I guess um but well, okay but that was actually what I was going to interject there to say was like she should have been the first champion but she wasn't and I think that that's what kind of hurt it if she had been the first champion and then dropped it here to Mayu that would have been I think that would have been fine, but the oh, fact yeah, that he, there was the Kari oh, to you, her you, hot potato. You know, you know, I forget, I forget. Honestly, I forgot that Kyrie had the one that had the belt. Yeah, like, which is exactly uh, my point. No, you're, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I, I entirely forgot that Kyrie had the belt, so that's fair. Um, but I think that really, ultimately, watching it as a live or non-spoiled experience, I think, is like the real gold here because. By that point in the show, you've already seen all this stuff. You're not expecting Tam to win. You're not expecting Tam to win because all like the other baby faces won. You're not expecting Tam to win because this is Julia, right? You know, Julia, we've been waiting for this big crowning moment Julia push for three years. They're, like, surely this is going to be Julia's big defining moment as one of the faces of the company. And it wasn't. And it's just like this, oh, shit, like, I did not expect this. And by the time they're you're getting to the closing stretch where they're trading these like really hard slaps and forms and straight punches, like Julia just fucking runs the ropes and does a straight punch to Tam's face. And it's like, oh God, like like you like we mentioned like the violence and then not being like in the typical bloody blood all over the place way, but they just beat the ever living shit out of each other. Like maybe yeah. may, like 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 maybe even more so than they have in the past. Like they just really destroyed each other with how physical they were in this match and by the time we're get, we're, we're, we're getting to uh tam doing that doing that last friend doing that last frank uh uh, uh steiner screwdriver like 
it's like, oh, is she about to, oh my god, Tam won. <laughs> like it's like a thing where I'm so invested into the story, so as I'm watching it, it's like, man, it'd be really cool if Tam won. It'd be really cool if they would have Tam win this, but like Mina just won. There's no way Tam would win too. And she does, and you're like so happy and excited and like there's a bunch of different emotions that you feel because you didn't expect Tam to win there. So this like I so I love the match. I think the match is really great. I love that they try to start off with this more controlled style and pace, but eventually it devolves and gets back to their violent, hateful ways rather quickly. Um I Tim, Tim mentioned maybe it goes a little too long. Like maybe for like the style of a feud they have or style of a rivalry they have, maybe you can see them going like 19, 18 minutes. But look, this still went 23, 24 minutes. Like, which I which I can take compared to like how long a lot of how long a lot of Utami and Shiri matches were. So mm-hmm. like from that from that perspective, like I don't really have much to say like with that in regards to time. Cause I think that I think they use the time well and I'm just happy that I'm not watching like 40 minute Utami matches. Like, 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 <laughs> like, I, like, I, like, I get, like, I'm, I'm very, I'm very, I'm very flexible with this. But no, I love this. I love everything about it. And I think that the real magic here is, uh, and watching it unspoiled, I think it still resonates. Um, if you're spoiled, if you know the story, if you're like followed along with, Tam's journey and their rivalry and things like that, that it still resonates. But I think like when you factor in just how good the match quality is factor in the surprise of the booking factor, like it's just, I think it makes for like the best total package that wrestling has seen all year. In my, in my opinion, like when you factor in all the stuff that can make a wrestling match special, can make a wrestling event special. I think this is the one that has encapsulated that the best this year, because Everything that could have possibly that that you needed to go right in order to make this a moment all went right. Yeah, and yeah. also the crowd. Like this feud has been basically through COVID time, where it's just been clap crowds. Like we finally get to hear the crowd in the moment of the match, where Julia, like you mentioned before, just straight up punches um, Tam, and you hear this. Cr- this this wave of booze just coming through the speakers and it's just it is really shocking because like and she has this look like i don't give a shit like who cares and it was just the re- like it's the best heel moment i've seen have a japanese promotion i've seen seen since clap crowds since clap crowds have gone away like it's just this was great like yeah well i'll, I'll take that back the 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 Okada uh, Kimiya stuff was great, just because of. But that was basically. <laughs> but that was basically you. You have the the factions of of Noah fans versus New Japan fans. You know that's always going to have a rowdy audience. But this one, it was just it's not different because it's self contained in this one promotion, and and you have Julia versus Tam, and and Julia just turning complete heel like she's been a tweener, you know, tweener heel leaning. Um, throughout her time in Sauron, but she has gone full heel mode um, with this match, and it was just 
amazing to see how she got the reaction. It's just because that, but also the history of Stardom where, where punches, you know, punches are, are outlawed and street punches are outlawed in, in Japanese wrestling, but especially in this promotion, it was really, really, it really hammered home. And, and a lot of fans, you know, I think people think that um, old Stardom fans were chased off by the new Bushi Road, um, you know, purchase. I don't think so. I think they're still there and you heard them during that match. Yeah. It was it was amazing to watch. I mean, that's another thing to say, and I don't I don't want to even take the time to even reference this or or whatever, but it is like so many people are so many, you know, people who are Japanese wrestling fans, so many people who are in Japan and our fans are talking about these how the crowds are having a hard time coming back to post-pandemic world and all this and and being used to it and allowing themselves to happen. But as you mentioned, like when the big moments happen, the crowds who, even though they're still feel awkward reacting vocally and and doing all that stuff, like they can't control themselves. And Mm -hmm. you don't really see, like you said, you don't really see it at the level that you see it here in this match in other promotions where like you actually really feel the crowd just can't help themselves. And they react, even though they're still kind of like iffy about it because they're getting back to normal. So there is like there is that too where it's like okay the crowd is like clearly very engaged in this um i guess julia is you know she's obviously using the dangerous bomb and i think she's referring to herself as the the dangerous queen um and this match i don't feel like it really referenced the hokuto kandori like match or rivalry in this match directly, but it felt like it was trying to be like a hearkening back to that. Jay, what do you do? You think? I think. I think. I, I think that's, that. Or yeah. I think. I think. I, I definitely can see like traces of that for sure. Like, I definitely can see like, like traces of that being what the being what they want to go for. I can. I appreciate. Like, oh, go ahead. No, no, no. Like, I'm like, I'm not. I'm not sure. It's like super like overt in a way in which it becomes like grading or distracting but i do think there is like a very clear way in which like either like julia wants wants to present herself or they want to present julia and like where there is like some very like clear like hakuto stuff going on there yeah Yeah, and and the japanese media has tried to position them as such i mean they try to do it um in last in julia's last title defense with my yuki um, and tried to hearken that back to this, the Shinobu Kandori Okto match. I know the Japanese media the week before the show tried to do it with, try to make comparisons of the Chihiro Hashimoto Shuri matches, uh, comparisons of that. And it's like people, I think people really just have to give it up. And it's just like that match is just so definitive in time that you just have to leave that match alone. And I know you could get a little bit of inspiration by that, but I think um, for them, you know, she, I think in the buildup, it mimicked that, but this match was completely different, and I'm glad it did. It it was completely different from Hokuto Kandori. I mean, Hokuto Kandori, that match and the second match, I think people just need to leave that alone. Leave leave that. (laughs) that Those are two of the greatest matches you'll ever see. And I'll, I'm one of the people that think the second match is better. <laughs> so, um, nice. You just have to leave them alone. 
watch more Shunubu Kandori matches because she's got a lot more, a lot better, ma- not seeing better matches, but um, Hokuto and Kandori have a lot more storied matches than that. Just that match, even though those two matches probably define their careers, they have way more matches that are just as entertaining, just as heat filled. And I think, I think some people just want heat back and want hate in back in their wrestling. And you look up and down um, this show, there's so many stories that you could find. Um, you know, the IWGP match had a little bit of heat, but. Um, you know, this World of Storm Championship, it has the, it's their own story and it's their own hate. I mean, it's a lot more layered to me than Kendori and, and Hokuto, um, in terms of what the back and forth of what Tam and, and yeah, and yeah, and, and, yeah, like it's it, it's kind of fun, like, like Hokuto and Kendori boils down to like an interpromotional thing, mm-hmm. like, like it's great and it's like it made magic, but it's like when you kind of like look at it, it's like, oh no, the story, it like, it, like I guess at least when the, what the follow up. I think the like the follow up and like everything that goes on there from like how the feud progressed and then all you know, culminating culminating in December, but like it's an interpro it's an interpro- interpromotional story compared to like Tam and Julia being like about like Tam's place on this roster about Tam being like thirty like you know being like one of the only women on the roster that's over that that was older like twenty eight twenty nine thirty like then being around all these like. Young, a young up and coming stars, and Tam like finding her way out of being like an afterthought in all these units, like almost being done wrestling and coming back and not just being good, but like becoming like the heartbeat of this company where you have Utami and Shuri and Julia and Mayu and all these different people that are pegged to be like big stars eventually like you know the Micah and Himekas of the world and Hazuki and Ozumi and Starlight Kid that like even with all that going on that like Tam Nakano somehow made it into being one of the most important people on the roster like even so like maybe like you don't want to chase the Hakuto Kandori thing like no one can chase it no one can replicate it like you're not going to get there but like what that like Tam's story is just so unique already that you don't need to do that. Like she, like her story is what baby faces are made of, or what like that type of stuff is made out of. So like you don't got to chase that because Tam's story and how good she is just like sells itself. Yeah, that's honestly, I was as I was as we we're talking and as you guys are talking and and all this, it's like you really like kind of hit the nail on the head for for what my takeaway would be i tried to interject for a moment there and and it's perfect now that i can like say it here which is that i think that there's a lot of hay being made of these matches are going to be compared they're in the same building the first match obviously jay like you've referenced the second match that gets overlooked um while still probably being better um and everyone referencing it and the issue there is like if if there was even two percent more like in the actual references in the match, it would start to become overbearing because everyone was looking for it and everyone would see every detail of comparison point there. Um, When the real comparison point and the real reason why this match is more like Kandori versus Hokuto than any other match that you'll see in a long time is that the hate is there and that it stands on its own legs as its own thing. Because at that time... (laughs) 
you know, a long, a long, long time ago for, for, for people who don't realize this or new wrestling fans, you talk about, you know, three years of turnover of wrestling fandom. There was a time a long time ago when wrestling matches were not obviously aping other wrestling matches and, and paying tribute to other wrestling matches. And, and the Tam and Julia feud is its own thing. Just like Hokuto and Kandori was its own thing. And uh, that's what makes this great is it, it stands on its own legs as its own thing. And there's true hate there, unlike everything else that you'll see. Um, and it comes through the screen where you can feel it more than anything. And, and who knows, probably maybe behind the scenes, these two get along better than anyone else in the world. And they're thick as thieves. But when I see them out there in the ring and the stuff that they do to each other, I can't fucking believe that that's true. Um, Semi-main, the match before this, IWGP women's title match. Mercedes Monet defending her title against Mayu Iwatani. Um, poor Wu's take on this was it wasn't as reckless as he would expect. Um, and it just felt like a normal match. And I would say somewhat true. I thought they played, they did a good job playing off of the, the mouse over um, Sasha's or Monet's eye and, and the drama off of that. Um, but in some ways, like especially comparing this to the main event, it did feel more like an exhibition and less like a hate-filled brawl. There was some, there was some stuff there, but Sasha trying, you know, to play heel at this point, she's doing pretty good and singing her song, and maybe that like it gets over better, like the Mayu Suck song gets over better for a crowd who doesn't like speak English <laughs> as well or or whatever. I don't know. Um, but otherwise I thought that like the pacing, the drama, the cutoffs, the, when Sasha did the, did, does the like dead man pop up, grab the ankle spot and gives the finger in defiance. I thought that that was fucking phenomenal as Mayu puts her down with just brutal stiff strikes and then finishes it off with, you know, Mayu's beautiful moonsault. Um, I just thought that that was like a really, really great little sequence. Um, so yeah, like to say like it felt like I said a little bit kind of like a a um an exhibition comparatively. I think that that's just because there was a ton of stuff on this show that was like had a lot of great drama and heat yeah, like, and this like, was thoroughbreds. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, other thing like other things just have more like emotional weight here. Like you have like Mina versus Saya, like Mina Shirakawa, like another like a, a story like similar to Tam, is like you know about fighting for the white belt. Like there's just like other things going on here that like 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 I think there's a better Mayu and Mercedes match that exists if like they are the marquee attraction on a card, right? But I think that this was like if they're like. Maybe you could say Shiri versus Chihiro was too, but like this was kind of like the icing on the card. This is here. Look, we got Mayu and Mercedes. Like, we can, we're, we're gonna we're gonna add, we're gonna have this on here when the real emotional for the Stardom fan stuff is Tam versus Julia and Mina and Mina versus Saya. So yeah, exactly. I think that I think that there's a better match that exists here between these two because I think they're both really great wrestlers. That being said, I still thought the match was really awesome. Like, yeah, I loved, I loved, I loved this. I thought that, like, like you mentioned the pace, and I thought that they had really, I think they showed really good chemistry. Like, 
I think that they showed very clearly a base that they could that those two could build off of. So like I was kind of expecting Mercedes to attack Mayu or say that she wants a rematch or anything like that. I was kind of expecting that. Um and that's not what we got. We got the tearful thank you and uh Mayu carry the belt with pride and things and things like that, which makes me think that Mercedes will be on her way to AEW sooner rather than later. Um, so I'm hoping that we'll still get to see her do uh, stardom stuff or IWGP women stuff because I would like to see her run it back with Mayu and there's just plenty of things I would like to see Mercedes do. Um, but yeah, with, with, with that all being said, I thought that the match still, even if there's a better version of this, this just wasn't the card for it. It wasn't, it wasn't the time for it. There was just other things that were more important on this card and this was just here let it let's let our all-stars let it let these like all-time greats go out there and do something and they got 13 minutes and they went up there and killed it it's it still a really good match yeah i think that like i was you know, saying like this is like the thoroughbreds you know it's like it's the it's the different styles the two matches back to back were meant to be i mean exhibitions they were they were showing off they were the top guns this is this was your peak of you know, pro style, you know, weird to say sports entertainment wrestling. Right. But like, obviously it's like, you know, puro Japanese Lucha Riso kind of mixed hybrid, whatever, but like really showing off the, the peak of like, of everything you can do in wrestling and the Shuri and Hashimoto was meant to be kind of like the, uh, I don't, I don't even know. I'm like trying to think like when you, what's the, what like, what's the reference when it comes to horses? I was trying to think of like a Clydesdales or something, you know, like the big burly <laughs> who are yeah. like going at it. Right. But like, it's the same, like, it's the same concept. It's like showing off like the peak of athleticism. It's not really about the rest of the bells and whistles. And, and, and mind you, there was still some drama here when it came to like, that this is meant to be a rivalry and this is meant to be like, like you said, the beginning of something. And I'll take the goddamn rematch as, because I was going to reference this earlier. I'll take the goddamn rematch between these two in Long Beach. Cause like, I want to go to that new Japan and Long Beach show um, specifically for Monet because she's fucking, you know, uh, she is advertised for the show. And like, I've never seen Sasha live and I would love to, I've been following her since, you know, since she was on new England Indies, like I've been following her career for a long time and watching it from the beginning until now. I've never got to see her in person because I don't go to WWE shows no matter what. Um, and speaking of that, like, because I don't pay attention to WWE and because, you know, I've seen the couple of matches that she had, which were good so far, but it was still kind of whatever. Like one thing that crossed my mind as that she was coming to the ring here and, and the gear that looks amazing, which I assume Jay, like, is she still married to kid Mikazi? Is, does she, is he still making her gear? Yeah. Yeah. She's still married to him. The thing is, is that, um, for this specific gear, she went to Rey Mysterio's um gear maker. Okay. Um, because I heard someone say that, but I wasn't sure if it was true. I was kind of like, I would assume her husband still makes her gear, but this was Rey Mysterio gear maker. Yeah, yeah. Um, I forgot his name, and he's kind of um tied in because it's uh, I think Bix brought it up um around the hall of fame ceremony that he was in the um Yoshirai um ah oh gosh what's his name the booker for Noah um uh, oh oh oh, 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 oh. Nasal Rungai Nasal yeah 
the Sauron guy and that the whole weed scandal in Mexico. Oh, the weed thing. Okay, he was the yeah, oh, okay. yeah. He's he was tied up in that. So yeah, it got <laughs> yeah. Bix brought that up. So um, oh, that's fun. But yeah, so yeah, he's uh, Ray Ray Mysterio's um, gotcha. gear maker, and she went to him to get that. So um, it looked great. It looked great, and it was tribute well, to to Eddie and um, Black, Black Tiger, Black Tiger too, and. But also, if you watch Stardom long enough, um, you know everybody at some point, you know any of the main eventers, they come out with a tiger mask, um, right? You know, dating all the way back to um, to Fuka, um, the original one of the original trainers in in Stardom, she used to come out with a, with a tiger mask, and and it even dates back to the Arceon days. You know, I think it's just Rossi. You know, tiger mask has always been. Um, sort of woven into his promotions and um a lot of the women they have whether it's whether it's been utami or mayu or or eo they you know even start you know starlight kid has the tiger mask and they would it was it was almost like it started to be like a gimmick where they would they would wear it and then they would sell it for a bunch of money um just for merch but um it's kind of been woven into the fabric of stardom and um, Chris Charlton did an amazing job just um, mentioning that and hearkening while Mercedes was going down um, because, you know, you know, with, if anybody knows that the English commentary, they're not, it doesn't dictate, they don't dictate, you know, the Japanese feed or whatever. They're basically, du- basically dubbing over the Japanese feed um, without, without the feed there. So they don't have, they can't say stuff and then, you know, the director will make cuts and all that. But I thought Charlton, when he was talking about it, it was, it synced up perfectly and it was just a happy accent talking about that. And they fade into the, the shot of Mayu just staring daggers at, at Mercedes. (laughs) Um, while Charlton's going on soliloquy, I, Charlton was great throughout the, throughout this pay-per-view. Um, but we'll talk about that later. But Charles, when Charlton was going on and on about, you know, the callback of wearing the tiger mask and just, um, you know, the mind games Mercedes was playing, it really added to the match and, and great presentation by him. And it was just a happy accident, but they got the job done there. Kudos to them on that. So, yeah, no, definitely. And, and what my, my point there was when bringing up the gear and bringing up wanting to see Mercedes in, in Long Beach and, and you know, buying a ticket for a New Japan show for the first time in a long time here in Southern California for that was to say that she's been in WWE for a long time. She had a couple of matches here, and I didn't really notice it until here when she came out in this gear with her hair and everything. I was just like, I forgot how hot Mercedes Monet really is. She is an incredibly attractive girl. I was just like awestruck, like struck by her for by her beauty when she was coming out here to the ring. So yeah, just like. Jesus Christ, like, what the fuck? And then this amazing match and everything that she puts into it. And again, it's just, it's crazy. We talked about it earlier with the racist ass lawsuit and all this. It's not shocking that she didn't do it as well as she should have in WWE. But, uh, but yeah, like this total fucking package, huge star, um, and should just be like the top of everything. And hopefully, hopefully the AEW thing is true. And hopefully she does continue to have some matches in Japan and, just do whatever the fuck she wants. Like live, live that life. Cause hopefully she learned from Danielson not to, uh, not to wait until it's too late, you know, and, and to do this stuff while she still can instead of waiting till the end, because like Danielson has talked about wanting to wrestle in, 
Mexico, but has never really gotten a chance to and wanting to wrestle in Japan and really hasn't gotten a chance to. And none of this stuff is really happening for him since he left. And part of it is, you know, obviously timing and pandemic and everything else. And then also it seems like part of it is physical. Like it's kind of tough to, to be able to do everything when you're at that age and you have a family and you have everything. It's like, it's gotta be pretty tough. You can't really do those, you know, 24 hour turnaround Japan, Mexico, America, back and forth, like constantly kind of thing. Um, Quentin, I don't know if you had any other thoughts on the match before Jay has his, can give his kind of take on it. Oh no, go, yeah, Jay, Jay can go ahead. Um, you know, I I agree with Quentin. I love the match. Um, it really did feel like it was the first chapter of whatever they're doing because, um, if they run it back in resurgence, that'd be great. Um, you have resurgence. You know, they they've got plenty of time to do whatever they want in terms of either stardom shows or New Japan shows, because you have, just on the New Japan schedule, you have Resurgence, you have New Japan Finals, because you have to have something there. Um, if you don't, you have Dominion, and it's all in a, basically, in this two-month span, um, in terms of May and June, that they could they could pull whatever, because um, I know in the media, Japanese media, Sari, um, the former Saray, um, you know, Sari, she's left WWE, and she said she wanted to face the IWGP Women's Champion. And that was before the match. You know, after the match, um, she made the announcement after announcing her her debut back, her debut card back, that she's not interested. Which means um, a lot of people have interpreted that she's not going to job the Mayu. So um, I don't think that's the case. I think they're just going to wait down the road, maybe in December, if Mayu still has the belt to have the big first ever match between Sari and and Mayu but um with Mercedes I I just get the feeling like she she doesn't have any hurry to get back to WWE um it was really funny seeing after the after the show um the reaction to her dropping the belt and seeing the WWE fan focus um, side of Twitter basically react. I, I saw one troll post said the champ is here and posted my use picture on it. Um, one of those WWE accounts, like they really hate Sasha and, or Mercedes. And it's, I really don't get, you know, I guess I get it. Now I do thinking about it, I do get it. They're bootlickers, but, um, you know, for me, it's just really weird seeing how they think that Mercedes is going to just run backwards. She looks like she's having the time of her life. Um, I, you know, I talked to you to Tim about Mercedes thing and I was down on it when I first saw her debut at the Tokyo Dome, but she's, but I got to take the L she righted the ship. And um, I know some of her stuff online has been taken out of context and people saying, what is she doing? But in context, if you watch all the, the lead up with Sardom, she's done a really good job. And to me, I think, she, I don't know if she's in a rush to go to AEW. Um, maybe it's just the the biggest offer that they that she can get in terms of money wise. I mean, she looks like she's been paid really well um, during this run, and looks like she's going to do it again in resurgence. But I, I really do think that this is going to be the way for her throughout the year. She's going to pop in and out of stardom or or or, uh, or New Japan, and she's she looks like she's having the time of her life just 
you know, so, I saw pictures for Koka Kimura and Joan Kyoto online. And I recently saw her today, um, post pictures. She was in Kyoto with Mojo Riley, um, getting drunk at the, uh, the count two nine 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 bar, um, in Osaka. You know, just, she looks like she's having fun and, and it's something that she's, she's wanted to do her whole life. Um, you know, it's, if, you get the feeling that she's a real, real big wrestling nerd and that she just, she's just been like, she's been playing us in terms of the build up, pronouncing people's names wrong and stuff. It's just been, it's been, you know, she knows what she's been doing. Um, this was the first match and I've made references on Twitter that, um, if this was the DVD VR days, somebody would be selling a comp of the four horsewomen versus freedom. Like the three daughters of stardom versus the four horsemen yes. because they were they were so the time period of 2015 2016 was their rise um, and for Mercedes she's the first one out of all four of them to face all three daughters of stardom whether it's Mayu, um, Kyrie, and Io and it's really weird because I think the Io match is the worst match out of all three. Um, yeah, man, that's 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 kind of crazy, yeah. isn't it? Like, and, and, and granted, it's, you know, it's it was NXT and there was other things going on, but like, still, like, it's like, oh, like this, this Sasha and Io, like, yeah, yeah, it's super wild to think about it, but um, and then you know, coming into this match, I really did not know what to expect, and um. And maybe Koru thought that too because just how reckless they can both get in in the match. And when the first dragon suplex happened, I was like, "All right, here we go!" Like some people are going to get their heads dropped and all this. And, and Mercedes was down. She took three dragon suplexes and was just like, "Whoa!" Like in a in a tombstone pile driver. And um. I mean, it wasn't as reckless as a thought, but it's still, it's still something that she would never experience in WWE. Like they would outlaw that shit. Like that that match, even though as exhibitioning as it would, it's it's something that you'll never. It, even the praise that Rhea Ripley and Charlotte got for WrestleMania, that match can't. The the, the Mercedes Mayu match cannot happen at a WrestleMania. Like it, it, somebody would have. Somebody from the back would have told the referee in their earpiece to tell them to tone that shit down, and we wouldn't get that. But it here, I'm glad we got got it, and it. it I also got the feeling that it, it felt almost like the Kenny and Kota Ibushi match at the G1 a couple of years ago, um, at Budokan Hall, where people were really hyped up, and it was a great match. But people was like, "Man, they left something in the tank. Like this, there's, there's got to be something down the road." And that's that's why I think what's going to happen with um. Mercedes and Mayu. It was a little bit awkward because she Mercedes had the look on her face like this is it. Like I'm I'm probably not coming back anytime soon, but who knows? Um, you know, um there's reports that, you know, um Trinity, Fatu, Naomi, she's um they couldn't spend the money to get her in, and now there's a report that's saying she's going to impact and she'll debut an impact this week. So it sounds like that's true, but um with Mercedes, uh, like yeah, I, I, I like I like Trinity, but like I wouldn't spend the money to bring her in either. Depending on what she, depending on what she was asking for. Yeah, 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 and it's sad, but it's like yeah, I I like Naomi too. Like I like I like Trinity, but um, 
I think she'd be better served in AEW or or not saying that she wouldn't hang in stardom. Um, I know Mercedes was campaigning for uh, the startup effect with the Renegade Twins, which I th- actually think that would be pretty good and probably yeah. fit with them because they're not signed with anyone and they've been on TV before. And I think they'd probably do really well in stardom just to come in and just, they don't, you know, to compete there. Um, I mean, but anyway, if they did love, like a women's version of, uh, if, uh, strong hearts with them right and they just go to all just go around to all the japanese promotions yeah uh, yeah as a they did that. Fucking yeah. sick yeah 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 and um but yeah like to me this was, was a really good match i think it was it was just the first chapter of it and hopefully whether it's resurgence or dominion or finals of, of, of new uh, best of super juniors Hopefully they get to run it back because um, they've got more in it. Um, I, I think they got more left in the tank, and um, I think it's just a matter of pen and pad and paper, you know, just agreeing to to what terms Mercedes is going to do. Because um, how's how this card was originally set up? This wasn't supposed to semi main event the show. Um, it was supposed to be the Wonder of Storm Championship, but they moved it down. And I think that was a smart move by Rossi to move. Move the Wonder Storm title down and move this championship, move this title match up just to even out the flow of the match because of that mo- big emotional match coming, um, you know, basically an hour before. You can't, you couldn't really do that because it would have taken the wind completely out of the, the Red Belt match. So, um, kudos to all parties involved. Really love this match. Um, yeah, so, uh, I guess like Sasha does has a lot going on outside of wrestling that she could be doing and making money off of. So like, do we think that it's an immediate AEW thing? Like, so she's only wrestled three times anyway, so she's clearly not in like a rush to wrestle. Um, but it just seems like my thinking with Sasha. I mean, I, I gotta use it, but Mercedes is that if New Japan or Stardom knew that they could get more future commitments out of her, then I wouldn't see a reason for her to be dropping the title. Like, if she is the big, like, almost like women's equivalent to John Moxley that you could use to draw an audience and get get more eyes, I I wouldn't be taking the belt off of her unless I knew for a fact I wouldn't be able to use her reliably anymore. So... That's kind of my thinking as to why I feel like the AEW thing is happening sooner rather than later. But at the same time, like she doesn't really need to be wrestling right now either. So like I don't know, but I just but I just feel like she wouldn't be dropping the belt if the comp- if the companies didn't feel like she they she wouldn't be reliable or uh, that they that they would be able to book her consistently. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I do see that, but also, I saw that report, um, and you guys talked about it months ago, that, you know, New Japan's trying to cut back on spending, so, you know, and roster basically took pay cuts, so, um, yeah. it really just depends on how much money they got, and, you know, and maybe with Mercedes, maybe she doesn't want to take, she doesn't want to wrestle that much, because... Um, Remember when she got pegged as like injury prone and stuff like that? And um yeah. it's funny because I looked up her 
I looked up cage match and from 2015 to 2018, she does at least 130 matches a year. So, um, that's something that that's someone that's not injury prone at all. And maybe that's just a lot of miles on her. Like when she was signed, she was like 19. Now she's 31. Yeah. That, no, that's, that's, that's totally possible. Like she could just not want to wrestle that much. So like, that's like, so that's why I'm not sure about the direction that, that this goes in. I, I don't know. I just, I would still feel like they would keep the belt on her. Like, I feel, I feel like they would still be fine with that agreement. Like, Hey, like the IWGP women's title is this special thing. And like, we're not going to like, we're, I, I think they still might even be fine with that, but I, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see where it goes. It to me feels like someone that is going to go do other things. Yeah. I mean, that I agree with you on that, where it makes a lot more sense because especially because this title was pitched from the beginning as being something that would be defended like four or five times a year. And it's already switched hands that many times in a couple months. Like if, if she was going to be available, even just somewhat, you would think that there'd be no point in taking this title off of her, but, but we'll see. I mean, again, that's that's what's great about what's going on with her is that like it's such a wild card situation where like how much of it is what she just wants to do for fun as Jay was talking about and that she seems like she's having the time of her life versus how much of it is business and and everything that's going on there there's like so much to there's so much about it that like is just up in the air and you can't really predict it and after years and years of everyone talking about the Sasha boo boo face you know and, and all this and that that. When she came out here, she was not, she was a hundred percent. There was no boo-boo face, right? She, and she was dropping the title. So like, again, it's about motivation and context and all this and that. And I think it's a lot easier to lose the title and job when it's like actually something that is worthwhile and, and seems like worth doing. So, Hey, you know, um, I guess preceding this, we talked, I talked about it a little bit. We talked about it already in the context of like the back-to-back matches here that feel kind of like showcases for that top talent um Chishiro Hashimoto versus Shuri uh knockout or submission only match um Horu was like into this for sure you know uh says you know lots of problems with big Shuri matches in general uh but recently she's returned and been good uh obviously C hash is just amazing like everything she does arms Arm work, headbutts, blah, 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 all that. Um, this felt like a real struggle, tons of fight. In context, everything worked really well, you know. Um, for me, this felt like it should have been the, you know, knockout out of the park Grand Slam match of the night, but it just didn't hit. And part of that might be that I've, like, binged C-Hash matches recently. Um, and that might be why this, I won't say it felt like a, a, a letdown, but it... I don't know. Maybe in some ways it did just because I've, I got used to Hashimoto in the context of really being like bull in the China shop. And this was more 50, 50. And I really, really like when Hashimoto was able to just be more purely dominant. Um, because I've been, like I said, been, been watching the singles and then the team, uh, 200 kilogram tag team stuff. And, the rivalry feud singles match and tag team match involving Mio Momono. Um, just, I think, 
you had a better baby face to bump and sell for her. Um, and then comparatively, this just didn't stand up to that. I'm not saying it's bad, but it's just I was expecting this to like hands down easily be the match of the night for me. And it just didn't deliver in that way. Um, but uh, I don't know um, whoever I don't know who wants to start, but feel free to give your thoughts. Um, To me, I think I, I, I enjoyed the match. Um, but yeah, I kind of agree that, um, didn't hit the next level, but, um, it's weird because I like their matches before and tonight girls, um, but it was still a hell of a match to me because of, um, sort of the brutality of it, you know, the, the headbutts and, you know, Charlton, watching Charlton, he was really getting over like Jesus, like, you know, making those noises and, um, stuff like that. But, um, yeah, with Hashimoto, like how they built her up, uh, um, hmm. maybe if they got a little bit more time, um, but I, re- I, I still like the match. I don't know. It was just, it, it reminded me of, um, on Dream Slam 93, because, you know, people want to make connections, um, it reminded me of uh, Yumiki Hoda in Dynamite Kansai. You know that that knockout dragout brawl. You know, but I thought, but and I was kind of surprised. I thought Chihiro Shimoda would have won here to set up a match down the road for her. You know, coming in being this big invader and didn't didn't happen. Um, there was there was absolutely good spots I liked in this match, but um, just the result. I didn't didn't like the result per se, but um, kind of knew what was going to happen when they changed the the step from a regular match to knockout and submission. But still a good match. But yeah, I I think they've had better. I've, I went four stars on it, but I think they had better. I mean, again, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying mm-hmm. I came into this expecting this to be match of the year contender, easily match of the night for me based on my taste. And it just it did not get to that level. Still very good, but I did I definitely did not think it was the match of the night. But Quentin, what did you think? Yeah, I was fully expecting to come on here and hear Tim say this is the match of the night and possibly the match of the year. Um, <laughs> no, um, this is re- this is really good though. I've been uh, Sherry was kind of getting to a point where I was enjoying her title defenses a lot in like the later stages of her of her reign. Um, yeah, me and Tim talked about it constantly, but we, I, I think we both prefer her in like the Grand Prix or something like stuff like that, where she does, where she doesn't have to be confined to working the big main event style is that she's just so much more enjoyable that way. And this is not any different here. Um, never been super big on C hash. Um, think she's good. I like her. I like her in certain. I like her in certain spots, but I've never been really big on C Hash. But I. But I thought that this was one of those moments where I enjoyed her um, a lot, and work, and seeing her work her style and try to implement her style against someone that has another uh, combat background like Sherry. So trying to trying trying to grappling and it being like the strength versus the striking and things like that that I that I enjoyed. So like. There's stuff like that that I liked about this matchup, and whenever these two are facing off against each other, definitely not the best match on the show, 
But if someone said this was the best match, I don't think they'd be crazy either. I, d- I thought this was very good. Yeah, I think that there, I could definitely see people who would be into it, and 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 again, like just the just the situation enough would be enough for them because these two were built up and perfect in in what they were doing there. But I just I felt like neither one of them really got to show off their strong suit here um, in this setting, and that I think is a big another big part of it. And like. I hate to do that because I really should just take a match at face value for what it is and not like pick it apart based on like I could have I think it could have been better. But even then, still, I don't think that it delivered at the level that it could have Um, this match. The next, you know, the 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 white belt match. um, Saya Kamatani defending her. What is it? Wonder of Stardom uh, title versus Mina Shirakawa. Now, this is my match of the night. Korwu's take on this is, you know, Mina's legwork is vicious, but Saya sells inconsistently, which is, I think a lot of people, their takeaway from this is that. And I think that out of every Saya like performance where you could make that argument, and I know that people love to do that and don't ever do legwork matches. I think Alvarez just did, just did a diatribe about don't do limb work. And Jesse Collins did his, you know, tweet that went semi-viral about like, limb work is the worst way to watch wrestling or whatever. And like, blah, blah, blah. Like, I'm sorry, but you're just completely missing the fucking point of this match. That was not the story. The story of this match was, yes, Mina was a vicious leg attacker and there was some good leg selling when it was meant to be there. But the story was not just that that Mina's leg was messed up, but that Mina was emotionally conflicted on top of that. Um, It was a very interesting dynamic because the first comparison that i thought of that crossed my mind was the will osprey story in progress about not feeling comfortable going off the top rope because he got injured doing a shooting star press and he did not want to go back up to do high flying again because he was scared of getting injured again and this was kind of a weird counter to that and is why i talked about the difference between the drama of the main event and then the drama of matches later on which is that like in any other context you would expect a pro wrestler to not be second guessing themselves when it came to hurting their opponent. But Saya did not want to risk injuring Mina and felt bad emotionally as a person because of what she did and, and because of the accident before. So the two things worked in tandem because it was not just my leg is hurt. I can't do the move. It was if I go up and do this, is my leg messed up enough to where I could miss mess up again and destroy her face on accident, which I don't want to do that again to someone. And I think that part of that weirdly plays into, and it sucks because it'll never fucking happen. And it's weird to even still kind of tease the storyline because it makes perfect sense that Saya does the Kamagoye, does the Phoenix splash plays off of the fact that she idolizes and wants to be like Kota Ibushi and he's kind of persona non grata when it comes to Bushi Road prom- promotions. But um, that Saya needs to have that cold-hearted killer, no emotion thing that Koda would have, where he would just lose the, the light in his eyes and turn into the serial killer and psychopath. And Saya doesn't have that. And it feels like that would be the perfect thing to lead to her developing that side of things. But you can't have Koda come and like teach her or, or do that story or whatever part of it, like to get to that next level. But that like, this feels like the perfect setup for that. Um, and I guess you can still tell that story, but unfortunately you don't have 
you can't do the directly telling that story like where she actually gets it handed down from her idol to like become the the cold-hearted psychopath but to me i was just like this story is perfect she's not it's not just that her leg is hurt by phenomenal leg work by mina like again i'm spending so much of my time talking about this match talking about the selling that everyone that not everyone but a lot of people are focusing on that i think is incorrectly and defending that part of things rather than pointing to the real best part of this match which is mina shirakawa who is becoming one of the best wrestlers in the world her leg work here is fucking phenomenal her spots look great her vocalization her facial selling all of her selling is great her aggressiveness her viciousness her personality leaping off the page and she ends up winning the match which again would not have predicted but she said you know me and tam both promised to leave this night as champions she's talking about you know natsapoy replacing her as tam's left hand she's formed her own unit that was related to cosmic angels and then has broken away officially and just uh, so many great ways to go there and so much drama coming out of this from her and just had this really epic title reign from Saya, but now leading into like the next feelingly epic title reign, like we're getting to the point again, we've talked about it enough, but like the white belt feeling like the real belt, like Jesus Christ, like Tam has the red belt and that's great. And that rivalry was really good, but like Mina does not feel like this is going to be a step down from foot on the gas with the white belt feeling like the major title. She's already calling out the, the red belt champion, wanting a piece of her, wanting a piece of her number two, like, it was fucking great. Absolutely adored this match. Like I said, match of the night for me on a show that I thought was great up and down the card, but this was it for me. But um, I guess, I don't know. Jay, what do you think? Um, I think the match, my match of the night was Tam Julia, but this was the best moment of the night. Um, absolutely love this match. Um, I am so ready for the Meteor Cower run, like you were talking about. Um, she has really progressed from her time, you know, she, it's funny, the first ever stardom pay-per-view in 2020, um, in late, in, it was either September or October of 2020, I'm forgetting the exact date, but she debuted with the company, leaving TJPW, and she's totally transformed herself, transformed her body, transformed her moveset, transformed the way she works in ring, um, she has this new She's morphed into, you know, and sort of, in a way, um, yeah. She had a basic um, template of working, you know, in, in Cosmic Angels, and then when she started doing singles matches, she had this weird um, AJ Styles like move set, and then it's morphed into this weird hybrid of Bret Hart and Keiji Muto. Like it's it's really fucking it, it's amazing to watch to see what she she's done um over the course of these last three years and she really is like Tim like you said she's becoming one of the best wrestlers in the world um I fucking marked out when she did the the figure four apron figure four in the ring post spot um <laughs> because I'm a Bret Hart fan so um yeah and it's just to me Mina. For what she, it was a happy accident that she, um, that that it happened with 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 Saya in terms of um, with the boot in the face in terms of the the botch Phoenix splash, but it really evolved into a, a good storyline. It got wacky at the end in the build up in terms of um, the press conference where she spit this black mist on on Saya, and then 
on at the one of the Corkins uh Saya blue green missed at her. But I think that that's all forgiven because this match rocked. Um the the electric chair into a a dragon screw leg whip was insane. I've never seen that before um from Mina. And yeah. just the pace the pacing of it and just the emotional high of you know coming down the stretch and again the crowd being with it with every with every every figure four attempt and um just popping for you know her trying to get Saya going for the Phoenix Flash, crying at the top, and then couldn't pull the trigger. Then she finally does pull the trigger after all these months since what since that that match was uh November third. So November basically all of November, December, January, February, March, April basically all the way it's been five months without her doing the Phoenix Flash and just coming down and stretching having having the crowd so into it. Um, it was an amazing moment. And then, um, after she wins, you know, Hameka comes out to congratulate her, you know, Hameka, you know, um, Mina was the ring announcer for Hameka's first match and she did it in Hameka's match. And we'll talk about that later, but, um, to basically come out because at the time Mina wasn't even a wrestler and for her to progress all this way to be the number two to have the number two belt in the promotion, something that even a Mecca couldn't do. And congratulate her. That was amazing. And I think Club Venus is going to be something in, in this promotion. I think Mina is going to be uh, a superstar, like a legit superstar. And yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if AEW brings her in, if Tony Khan brings her in, they work out a deal because she could speak English too, um, to get on American TV and she'd get over. I, I really do. And oh yeah, she's, she's really special. Yep. When you talk about it, there she's also got tons of personality. Like there's that's still there. Like when she started out early on, and she was not necessarily like you know great wrestler or whatever. Like she's always had tons of personality, and that didn't leave. So yeah, like she could totally easily get over huge in America, and uh, and would be a you know a, a a an addition or like a nice like co star or whatever you call it like a guest star on an AEW show. Um Quentin, what did you think about this one? Uh not much I can add. You guys I think you guys nailed it nailed it all. It's just you know, Mina's really great, man. She's really, really great, really special. And when you talk about why this roster at some point has to be put in like the all time great rosters conversation, just like you have someone like Mina Sharikawa just come out of fucking nowhere to become like the person that some people might be the most invested in on the roster, just out of nowhere claiming a spot in you guys, like, you know, you know, like you, like you saying that this was your favorite match of the night and JML saying that this was his moment of the night. Like Mina just kept, just comes out of nowhere to be, to be here, man. Like it's, it's just great wrestling. It's the type of stuff that makes wrestling worth watching and what makes wrestling fun to see someone work their way up and just have this intrinsically likable quality about them. And then when everything just comes together and aligns, they're just the right way. You have a star or you potentially have a star. And the fact that stardom doesn't run away from that, like stardom doesn't run away from how popular Tam was getting stardom doesn't run away from the, from, from, from how good Mina was getting like 
they embrace these things. That is what a wrestling company should be doing. They should be embracing when a wrestler, even if they're not someone else part of their part of their plans, when a wrestler is getting to a point where they're just like undeniably great and they need to take advantage of that momentum. And like that is a a thing that you shouldn't have to praise bookers for. But some <laughs> wrestling companies just like don't do that. So like I'm very happy to see Tam and Mina both as both as champions. Like this is like probably like the um the equivalent of like seeing like punk and Brian as champ as champ as champion. Yes. Some yeah. people in WWE, you know, or or the infamous picture when it's like punk Brian and Zack Ryder and Cody and Beth Phoenix as as the champions yeah. or whatever. I, I feel like this and is think- like oh, <laughs> this is almost I was like say, equal- I think Matt Seidel and like Kofi Kingston. Yeah, Matt Seidel and Kofi. Yeah, yeah. like yeah. this is like almost the equivalent of that for Stardom. I think like who would have fucking thought like two years ago that Mina and Tam would be the holders of the two main singles belts in Stardom? Maybe Tam. Maybe you could see Tam, but at some point you but but you would still see Tam be like, oh, like Julie is there, Utami, Sherry, like. Uh, I mean, maybe, maybe Tam, but like you definitely wouldn't have thought Mina would get there. No, like, no. Like, yeah. like, 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 like this. You got, you got to give the company credit for like not running away from the, from the things that are that are that are right in front of them. I mean, you guys are both watch DDT. Do you remember her in DDT when she was like rapping on the street while during like street wrestling and stuff oh, like that? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> not, yeah, yeah. Like, did you ever think like she'd be? Like in in this promotion, doing shit like this, like I don't, I I didn't like. Yeah, no. it's weird because that that video it makes the rounds on Twitter like almost up. It's starting to make it around monthly. Just Mina <laughs> Mina Shikawa rapping on the doing freestyles on the on the street while everybody's wrestling and stuff. Like I <laughs> and in DDT, like I, like to go from that to being. Consider one of the best wrestlers in the world in in stardom. I I definitely didn't see this coming at all. No, yeah, I mean, definitely have to agree. But you know, I mean, again, like you talked about, that's that's like why this company, why this booking is is actually really good and and hard to hard to understand why people even fucking hate on it. Because like again, I have absolutely no reason to want to defend this and. Even like the little bit of stuff that I know about Rossi being a fucking creep and all the issues there, like I don't want to say that Rossi is the Booker of the Year, but like it's you know I I just call I call balls and strikes, you know I I want to have my friend Matt who I had on the podcast last week. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. The 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 brother is the Booker of the Year, man. Like he he is like (laughs) he takes this shit and he takes like. Not, you know, he takes some of the best wrestlers in the world and he takes also a mix of like great personalities and then he ends up like making storylines where they're all these fucking great wrestlers like and he continues to build like, I'm sorry, what the fuck? Like, I don't I don't it it gives me no pleasure to say it, but he was the booker of the year for last year. He probably will. He probably will get it again this year as far as I'm concerned. But yeah, it's just anyway. Anyway, um, we can move on. Prominence defending their uh, artists of stardom tag team titles against restart um, this mixed conglomeration of uh, of a, 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 a reformed, you know, stable from the past, which maybe Jay can explain to me or, well, you know, 
it would be you can give me some background on that. Um, I heard people kind of talking about Suzu and Sariano interactions being like, or not. I'm trying to think. Like maybe people were saying like Kari and Suzu interactions being the the highlight of the match. But to me, I thought that the Sariano and Suzuki like interactions were the were the point of the match, and I actually really appreciated that because I felt like it was intentional to save the Suzu Kari Suzu Natsupoi stuff for bigger matches down the line, especially with the rumors coming out that like Suzu has left prominence, which is, or is I saw something that was like officially left or, you know, like teasing it. Or it's happening. Yeah. So... I know she's closing out. Oh, sorry. Let me real quick. I know she's closing no. out like a deathmatch series with, um, uh, with June Kasai. And, and then obviously the finish I thought was sick, uh, with the, the, the big, uh, you know the. I always think of it because you know the backslide from heaven is the the um, Heiji. What can I think of his name? Quentin, ah, Genki Quentin. Horiguchi. Genki yeah, Genki yeah, Horiguchi. But I always think of Jack Evans from the heavens, and he would do a backslide that was the same as this, the one that uh, Soriano did here. Um, that he would also call the backslide from heaven that he stole from Genki after Dragon Gate, where he does the bridge where he flips over the top. But I guess other people don't remember that because people were losing their minds at this like they'd never seen it before and i was like oh that's the jack evans thing um but you know whatever that's cool uh but yeah um and then there was a point where where kari countered um risa sarah with the the kendo stick with just like the sickest fucking hurricane back spinning back fist where she just put her down and that that's the thing about kari like amazing wrestler obviously but I think overlooked is her theatrics. Like there are moments where she hits like a big punctuation spot like that in this match that are just so perfect. And so just like, again, like picturesque and cinematic to where it's like hard to like, not think about just how great she is when it comes to all time. But Jay, please enlighten me about the background and the situation with Suzu and then give your thoughts on the match. All right, so with uh, with restart, I know you want to mention with restart, restarts uh, with Kari, Natsupoi, and Sariano. Sariano and Natsupoi were in the promotion right around when I started covering it for Wrestling with Warriors, actually. Um, from They were in a previous promotion called Actress Girls, and they were brought in on a semi regular basis, and they formed a um, sort of a mini group with Kairi. It wasn't called Restart at the time. Now it is. Um, they kind of retroact- retroactively done that. and But they've always been a small little side group together when they were, when they were together. Um, there was a, there was sort of a split in terms of actress girls. So Natsupoi and Seriano weren't able to compete in, in, um, in, in, um, in stardom. And, and it, that's been the, that's been like the, story with actress girls for a while they've gone they've they they dip in out in and out of relationships with other with other promotions for a long time um it's really weird but anyway um in terms of suzu suzuki um yeah the the story of the match was the interaction with suriano and suzu suzuki because they used to be a tag team in ice ribbon so with them it was really pronounced that they have this big interaction i thought it rocked too him um it was really great and even the post match where she looks back and gives like um basically what what people would think is like the two sweet hand sign but that was their 
that was their thing, you know, throw out the devil horns or whatever, um, or the wolf, whatever hand signal it was um, for their tag team. And with Suzu Suzuki now, um, they prominence had their one year anniversary at Cork and Hall the the night after um, also night after Grand Queenum Cinderella uh, Grand All Star Grand Queenum. Um, they had their one year anniversary. Um, he had Suzu Suzuki had the had the match that the death match series with Jun Kensai. It's funny because she had this trial series before in Ice Ribbon, and I guess they. They wanted to redo it to sell more, to sell more tickets. Um, but she had the match, and after the match, she lost to Jun Kasai. But after the match, she announced that she's leaving Prominence. Um, she says that she's not done with death matches. She's not graduating from death matches. Um, but and then so people people thought immediately like, oh, she's not going to stardom because she's going still going to do death matches. Well. Turns out, um, for the next week in, um, for Golden Week, which is a national holiday where everybody gets off during the week in Japan, um, wrestling promotions run every day and Suzuki is booked every damn day for stardom. And she's booked with, um, mostly in tags with, um, May Sierra, who used to be the, used to be the former May Hojizuki for Marvelous who a lot of people think is going to be signed with Sardom. She just got brought back. And Unimon, Unimiz Mori, who has been part of the Sardom roster since the beginning of the year, she went freelance and hasn't worked anywhere else other than Sardom. Um, usually, Sardom has done this sneak on this sneakily uh, years before. With uh, I remember Kagetsu was the one where um, she said she'd go freelance, um, but only went with stardom she didn't do anything any other promotions and then um five months later she'll they say that she's officially signed with the roster so i think that's going to happen with suzy suzuki mias may sierra and um uh unimis mori that's why i think it's going to happen with suzy suzuki so again talking about rossi not only a great booker also a great person person who judges talent and a person who convince people to sign with them and i think that's going to happen with suzy suzuki to me she's one of we talked about it before suzy suzuki i think is one of it could be a future like ace of stardom ace she could be one of the biggest stars in wrestling um in my opinion and i think a lot of, a lot of people thought that too because um Sort of the same thing I, I saw with Julia in Ice Ribbon, where I thought she would be a mega heel for years to come in Ice Ribbon, and it didn't happen. She's become that in Stardom. I think she could, Suzuki could be a big baby face in Stardom coming in. Um, don't know if she's going to join Julia in DDM. Don't know. But um, if she signs with Stardom and she has a deal where she can go around and do five or six death matches a year or even two or three. Um, to agree to her terms, this is a big, big, big game changer event for Stardom to get her into into the promotion. Um, as the, for the rest of Prominence, um, I'm not a fan of Risa Sarah, but I think she did well in this Prominence run, um, invading Stardom. And to me, the revelation was uh, Kur- Haragi Kurumi. Um, I thought she did really well. And, you know, you're losing someone like Himeka on the roster, I think. I think Kurumi could have been that type of big, big athlete to come in who, who 
fit the mold like Hameka and just plug her in there. But um, like I said, I, like, I really like the match. But yeah, that's the that's the thing with Suzuki. Um, don't know if she signed, but it looks like she is. All right. Well, thank you for the background and all that. I don't know <laughs> if you have any other thoughts on the match. I I appreciate it. And there's you mentioned it there as you're talking about if if Suzuki could join DDM, and it's like, oh god, I just thought about it. I was like. There's so much to talk about the stable situation right now and the in the factions in stardom. And I don't I don't know at this point with how long we've already gone that I even want to fucking get into that ball of wax, if I'm perfectly honest. So if you have any other thoughts on the actual art artists of stardom title match, feel free. And Quentin, if you have any thoughts. Um, I I thought the match started off slow, but it really picked up once Suzu and everybody got in I got in there. Um uh, I really liked the the interactions with Seriano, um, but um, sign me up whenever Kyrie and Suzu have a match. Whether it's, I know Kyrie has this part time schedule, um, and I don't know if she's going to be the five star Grand Prix. But if they ever face each other, holy shit, <laughs> sign me up. I'm right. I'm there. I depending on what goes on, if it's the right day, whatever. I might, I might invest and might get my passport renewed and and, and fly over there. I might, I, I want to <laughs> see that match immediately. That's that's another dream match in terms of it's just in like Quinn, like you said, it's it's all time roster embarrassment of riches. If Suzuki get on this roster, so many good matches. I mean, we already saw it with the five star Grand Prix. I mean, if if she didn't have COVID, um. I think a lot of people would be would be buzzing over her more coming out of the five star Grand Prix last year. Um, she has so many potential great matches for her down the road. Um, for me, I thought this, I thought this was really good and just one love the finishing love the finishing stuff. I really love Sariano uh, in this match. Um, and you mentioned Jay, uh, Jay not being super into Risa Sarah. I'm in, I'm kind of in the same boat, but I thought Risa served her purpose really well here too. But yeah, man, coming coming out of this, I'm just so excited to see like what could be next for Suzu. You know, we've mentioned we've mentioned her and give her a lot of give her a lot of shine when we've we've done our stardom review shows. But Suzu was someone where like I I really I really liked the Julia match from the, from this year. I thought that I thought that was great. And I feel like there's even better matchups for her. Like, I think that her and Julia could be like a really good, awesome rivalry or something like that. But like, I think there's people that might be even better for her. And I think that she's just someone where like, I'd be shocked if she had bad chemistry with like anyone on the roster. So I'm just very, very into, um, into what the future is with that. And I like Restart as the as 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 the champs here. And I thought that I thought this was a really fun team. I thought Kyrie, Nasapoy, and Sari looked were, were really were really fun here. I'm not anticipating a super long reign with the with the with the belts for them, but I thought but they're 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 fun and I hope that they stick around. Yeah, I I definitely agree with that, but I do like Restart winning the titles here. I think Sariano, just based on this and the little bit that I've seen of her in the past, like is definitely another could be a great addition to the roster if she's going to be more full-time or more regular in the company. We'll see. Um, 
And I mean, I agree with everything you guys have said. Risa Sarah has not been anything for me, but Suzu is perfect. And you talk about like she's going to do more death matches and things like that. Like with the, you know, top champion in Tam, who's had the history of doing like, you know, exploding barbed wire baseball bat matches. Like, I mean, Suzu and Tam feel like they could have amazing chemistry with each other. So that's already, you know, the top champion. Um, Goddess of Stardom tag team title match. Um, Nanai and you seven up defending the titles against the, I guess, God's eye team of Ami Sorai and Mirai. Um, Korwu kind of echoed the same thing that I've seen in a lot of places, which is just like basically being disappointed, especially by the finish of the match, which I agree with other like other than like, I actually liked the finish in theory, but the execution, especially with, I guess the biggest part to me that I don't like is just that if they had just done a count out and not needed to feel the need to like go over the top with, with you and I repeatedly almost getting in the ring and even the very final second of it, having you actually have her foot in the ring across. Yeah. The it just like, it's, it felt like a, it, it was, it was a little too political for me. Yeah. Like, like that was too far. Yeah, like I understand, like wanting to like be protected here from Nanai and you, um, especially from the Nanai perspective, where she's someone that can always be like a title challenger. And I guess uh, you could you could like challenge for a title, but oh, like, yeah. but like, but Nanai is like someone that can always be like a head like headline a show or get a, or get a, or get a shot versus the red or white belt. So like, I understand that I understand the politics of play, but like, it it just was a, it was a little much. It's a little. It's a little yeah. much. It was like it was. It was like the count out equivalent of when someone kicks out after three. Like, It was. too. much there. And on top of that, I just. I didn't. I didn't really thought, think the match was that good outside of that. Anyway, it was fine. A little disappointing because Nanai and you did have a really good run with the belts up to this point. So. I was a little disappointed in it, in it before we even got to the ending, which was just, it was too, it was too much. Yeah, I definitely agree with, with basically everything that you're saying there. Um, I, I think part of why I enjoyed the match is the Nanai Mirai interactions was like, up until this point, I think I've been kind of soft on Mirai while others have liked her a lot more. And I thought that Nanai and Mirai um, against each other, was the most that I've like actually really liked Mirai and 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 saw I think I saw what like other people see in her so that like actually that bo- boosted the match for me but otherwise I think I agree Jay I don't know if you have any other thoughts uh, my my thoughts uh echo you guys I'm super disappointed and I'm super disappointed in this match um I like all four wrestlers um especially and I you know I, I always say on the show, the Nye is one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. Um, it was funny because um, the last pay per view, uh, the Cinderella finals, um, there was a tag match with the and, and her group versus uh, Mayu and their group. And then um, <laughs> Nye and Mayu have a little interaction after the match. And then literally two minutes later, Mercedes pops in and, and does a run in. So it's like, damn, it's like three of my favorite wrestlers 
of the past <laughs> 10 years are all interacting at least in three minute in this three minute chunk right here um but anyway like with that i've heard it's funny because i heard some things in terms of um you and mirai not getting along like i think like it was alex from i think it was alex from stardom from stardom quest his podcast and james boyd of win nation radio they both noticed it like on a house show like mirai and you got into it and it was like legit like they got into something like so it might have been like <laughs> it doesn't work for me sis or it doesn't work for me brother type thing with you and um not putting them over so we'll never know but um yeah like i was just super disappointed how this turned out i thought by the end of the match and then i was um gonna do the honors but um didn't happen so um this is like the one big yeah but this is the one big yeah. disappointing spot in on the show which the, the rest of the show was great but um this was the one that was just kind of the, kind of the sinker I thought this yeah. had the potential to be the show stealer of the night and wasn't. So no, unfortunately. Um, but Jay, let me roll on and give us the um give us the full star treatment for the my Hime uh retirement, whatever this whatever you want to call this, this insane fucking match. Oh boy. Okay, so with uh with my Hime, um with uh, Himeka being her last, basically her last official match um, with Stardom. I know she's doing a she's doing a show after this with um, with Wave Pro Wrestling Wave in conjunction with quote unquote Bushi Road Fight, which is basically Stardom at Shinkiba First Ring or Shinjuku Face. I forgot which one, but. Um, She's doing something there, and then she's having a retirement, a formal retirement ceremony on May 14th in Corken Hall, where they'll do, if you've ever seen any Joshi retirement, it's the full streamers into the ring, and every, there's a big ceremony where people come and give her flowers and presents and all that stuff, but um, yeah, with Hameka, this is her last match. She was one of my favorites. Um, in the last five years and i thought that they nailed the presentation of it she comes finally comes out she's been telling that she's the jumbo princess she finally comes out tiara you know princess outfit whatever it was pretty it was pretty fun um for her to come out and um you know her retiring at 25 years old um kind of kind of sad because uh, i thought she'd be a future red belt champion but she got to go out in style, um, had Yokohama Arena chaining her name. It was the loudest reactions of the night. We, I think, Tim, we've talked about it. Um, when she came, when she came, um, when cheering crowds came back in Osaka um, for that February show, um, she was, her and her and him, her and Micah were the most over act on the show. And yeah. um, you really think if they stuck together, what, what, what this what would happen for them and um it was clear that she's the most she was the most overact and it's not like a regional thing where it's like it's her hometown or anything no like it's been consistent people love her and love micah and love that love their relationship and um 
this was super emotional. Um, by the end, you know, Micah verbally in Japanese telling her to kick out. I don't want this to end and crying after, but it was, um, great match. I thought it was better than their five star Grand Prix match. And, um, yeah, it was, I didn't, didn't cry or anything watching the match, but, um, but it was kind of got me sad. I thought that she would be where she'd be the number one person in the company, but it wasn't meant to be. Um, I don't know if, with her personal life if she's going to go back or go into acting. Like, I know she was an actress before and a model. I don't know if she's going to do that instead now or or what, or she's going to get married or, or have kids or whatever, but... Um, this was a helpful way to go out in Yokohama Marine in the biggest crowd. You know, she debuted during the pandemic with Sardom, you know, to go from the small crowds and no cheering to this, the loudest crowd and the biggest crowd she's been, you know, been part of under Stardom and super proud of both of them. Um, and, you know, Micah, she came with a new, new gear, new look. And, um, if, if you wanted something real emotional from this match, go out of your way, watch this match. Really enjoyed it. Can't, can't praise it enough. Yeah, absolutely adored the match. I, again, loved it for the drama. You talked about didn't cry, but was almost there. Same thing. I was on the emotional edge, like really thinking about it. And, and towards the you know middle end, I was thinking like, okay, like, you know, you talked about the, the five-star match and going to the, the, the time limit. I was like, could they do it? Could they go to the time limit, you know, for the retirement match? That would be... That would be something, you know, it was kind of interesting to see, like, what would they do? Because it's, you know, normally if you're retiring, you go out on your back, you do the honors. But also the history between these two and the fact that the only other time they've ever wrestled that went to the time limit would be kind of neat to go to the time limit again. Um, but obviously that's not how it goes. Um, I've compared Micah in the past. Obviously, everyone has, and even you know, Bushi Road gets it because they had her team with Goto and the comparison there. But um, one thing that Korwu called out was Micah doing a stalling superplex, standing on the middle rope, holding um Himeka up like that is fucking insane. Yeah, especially when you think about the size difference and and everything else and just what that is. But I was like, okay, well, actually, the real comparison, I guess, is Micah is the British Bulldog of uh, of Joshi wrestling here doing that stalling uh, middle rope superplex because that was a that was a trademark British Bulldog spot uh, that I always loved. So, OK, there's you know, there's that. But, yeah, this was emotional, probably emotional match of the night. But, you know, quality wise, I mean, still fantastic, really. And in the upper half, like probably, you know, three or four top match of the of the entire show. And, you know, huge, huge, you know, emotional send off. Quentin, what did you think of uh, of this big retirement match here? Yeah, there's a lot to take a lot to take in. Um, crazy that this something like something that as good as this was the third match on the main card. But like, it's it's, just, right. it's, a, it's, a, it's a lot to take in here. You know, sadly with um with uh with the uh, Joshi wrestling, but when, when was wrestling in Japan, like this just these kind of like sudden out of nowhere retirements for with super talented names just it happens. It's a it's a thing that is a thing that happens and that you have to deal with and like, you know, like you guys said, we you kind of sit there and peg, um, uh, peg, uh, as like a future star, as a future potential like red belt holder, someone that 
would be someone that's like neck and neck with Utami, like you know, like both of them, really. You know, you kind of you kind of peg them that way, and like things don't things don't really work out at all how you expected. So like, it's definitely like a lot to imagine. Like, okay, like they're gonna have to move on without her. But with that being said, like I loved everything. It, it was it was like I love everything about it. It was really fun. Um, and just getting to take it in as her last match, at least for the for the for the, for, for the foreseeable future, was uh, it was an experience. And the post match was really good too. But yeah, it's just it's hard it's hard to imagine like stardom going forward without her. But like they're set up and they're set up well and equipped to do that. It's just for the time you see her, you're kind of putting her in that oh that's a future star category and like with women's wrestling in Japan, like, sometimes these things go that way. Yeah, no, I mean, in wrestling in general, sometimes it's just these things don't go the way you predict them, but it is what it is. Um, I mean, for some people, for a lot of people, in fact, probably most of Japan, the biggest match of the fucking night, as it, like, played on mainstream network television in front of, like, millions of viewers, um, Fuachan and Hazuki going up against the Queen's Quest team of uh, Miyu Amazaki and uh, Utami Hayashishida. Um, In the moment when I watched this match going through, and I was lucky, as Quentin talked about earlier, about being unspoiled, I did actually get to watch the show unspoiled, um, you know, within like 48 hours of the actual live event, because... Because as Jay said, it's funny because Jay said, I've gone through it staying up late. I I never did the stay up late for, you know, Japanese wrestling, but I'm I'm also just too old to even imagine doing it at this point. Um, but I did catch it. But watching through, I was just like, this match is fucking amazing. This show has been so great going through. And it was really good. Like, Fuachan, is, Fuachan and Utami have amazing chemistry. Like, they've interacted, I think, already in the past. But again, here. Um, and I loved... Charlton talking about it, but it's also a great thing. I, I assume it's probably really good on Japanese TV, like these two kind of reality TV celebrities wrestling it has to like definitely help bump things up with the drama for casuals watching. But uh, the post-match promo and, and Fuachan talking about uh, continuing to train and possibly coming back to wrestling. I mean, that's just perfect work. Um, but yeah, like I said, great stuff. For what it is, honestly, much better than it should have been. Um, Hazuki and Fuachan are just a great team, look good together, and and Utami and, and Amazaki. Sim- similar situation there. We're just like a, a really good team and, and exhibition early on the show, whatever you want to say, but but still super solid. Uh Quentin, what did you think about this one? Uh yeah, like especially in a match like this, like the thing I always like to do is I really like to pay attention to like the people on the other side of the celebrity, and I thought I thought uh, Amasaki and Utami were both were both just great at what was at, at what was asked of them there. You already mentioned Utami's chemistry with uh with Fuwachan, and that was definitely, definitely a highlight. But yeah, for me, like when with celebrity matches like this, I always look at the other side, and I think uh really like say like want to notice how they bump and sell and feed and like how much they give for the uh for the for the celebrity involved and the queen's quest side was really was was really good so this was this was this was super fun and hazuki is uh, such a great partner for fuwachan for fuwachan to have like 
it just works very perfect, very perfectly with her and does what's needed in order to carry her carry her end of things. So this 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 was good, and I thought the Queen's Quest really showed up here. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Um with Fu Chan, like I I haven't watched the, the TV special yet, but it's kinda like an hour long special. Um where it aired and but I'm I'm I've I've heard that it's gotten so much buzz. Um, you know, she's you know <laughs> when you, when she got kicked in the face by uh Sai Kamatani months ago in her first match, it got kinda got buzzed, but this lariat that <laughs> Utami did on, on Food Chan, and it's really gotten viral online too. And then, um, and for for it to be on national TV is really amazing. And um, it's it's really helpful for for Stardom to get this get this exposure, and hopefully it continues more with Food Chan. Um, I think she's a natural. <laughs> she's natural. Um, it's, it's, it's weird. We haven't, I haven't seen a bad celebrity wrestling match in a long time, whether it's here or Logan Paul or Bad Bunny or Ronda Rousey. Like, I, I can't think of the last bad, even the Shaq match, which when he was with Cody and. Yeah. It's, yeah, 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 it's kind of crazy. It's like, we're kind of in a, in a era where like these celebrity matches <laughs> wind up being pretty good. Like they, they yeah. figured it out. Yeah. Yeah, it's just it's really weird, but I love to see Fujian come come again, and um, you know they're gonna put it on put it on national TV. I'm, um, I I remember seeing the last. I, I will watch the last one. I will watch this one that that aired Sunday. Um, it was a great time for them to to schedule it and have the Yokohama Arena show on Sunday, and then Sunday night um, air it. You know for national TV on the Pond TV, but. Um, I think if she ever does any more wrestling matches, um, uh, if Mercedes is around, you know, she could do a tie-in with her oh. being part of the Mandalorian. I know, um, Star Wars is huge. I mean, Star Wars is a global phenomenon, but it's huge in Japan. So, um, for her to, if she ever came there and they market her as part of you know, the Mandalorian, all that stuff, like, and Fuich- and the thing about Fuichan, Fuichan speaks English, so, and I don't think a lot of people know that, I think she, she grew up in the U.S., and then just became a viral, viral sensation over Japan, like, when she moved back, but, um, yeah, like, I think Mercedes would be a perfect opponent if they put her in the tag match, but Azuki, like, you have history there, um, you could, Shit, you could bring Trinity Naomi over, you know, just to just do a tag match and just have the exposure, you know, just the big bad, um, you know, foreign heels against, you know, Fuichan. Can she win? Can she get her first win against these big bad foreign heels? Don't know. So, uh, if you mark it like that, I know in the pre match promo, they had Okada, um, helping her out, which was a big, big, big. Oh, I'm surprised I didn't expect Okada to be in in the in this in the promotion for this, but um, but also in the TV show, Keiji Muto was there too. He was doing, he was in the studio watching and stuff. And I know, um, in the press, he said that he wants to create somehow create a promotion around Fuichan. I don't know if he's he was just talking shit or whatever or or just bullshit and whatever. But um, but yeah, I like put I think. Past him. 
I, I wouldn't either. Um, especially when when uh, Abiba TV and and Cyberfight were talking about they wanted they want to keep being in the in the Mudo business even though he retired. So, um, but all in all, really good match. Um, yeah, keep it going with Fuichan. Like she's she's really good. Yeah, and I look it up here, and it looks like Fuichan lived in America for like two years in her early childhood, though. So like. But at a time when you're like still forming, you know, obviously your language skills and all that. So I could definitely see her being fluent in English if she continued um, after, you know, and it says here like, yeah, she broadcast messages in English and Japanese both ways. Um, And you mentioned, you know, the Mandalorian in Star Wars. I think I heard someone referencing that like one of the her theme songs or one of the songs that she uses was a Star Wars you know, song. So she's got that tie in as well as like being a Star Wars sci-fi nerd as is part of her character, part of her, you know, oeuvre, her gimmick and all that. And probably just part of her personality as a human. Not everyone's a brand, right? Um, yeah. I just saw this scoop here, you know, from the ROH taping Claudio Castagnoli versus Robbie Eagles for the ROH world title. That's got me fucking stoked. Oh God. Um, that's wow. I can be match of the year. That's a match of the year. Level. Holy shit. That's, that's TK really fighting good. back. TK fighting yeah. back. <laughs> God, um, damn, God damn. That's good. So the opening match of the major show was the, it's a high speed title match or a high speed tag team match. Um, Starlight kid and May Sarah versus Azumi and Mesa Ruga. Um, this was my second number two match of the night. Um, I, uh, you know, similar to Corwu, also really enjoyed it. He said, uh, was excited to to see May Sarah here because she was part of that Marvelous versus Sendai Girls feud that we all loved from 2022, um, which, you know, should be a legendary feud at this point in our circles, all this. Um, yeah, this was like peak high speed situation, like, Obviously, Azumi and Starlight Kid, we know for this, but for me, like the two Mays, Sarah and Saruga, were were like honestly the stars and the highlights of the whole thing, and them being integrated into the company, and you know, hopefully, more and more bookings coming out of this uh, would be, you know, very exciting for me because they looked great here, and I absolutely fucking loved this match just for the, again, the speed and the intricacy and the way that they did everything, and and you know, it's not. The crisp, the most crisp thing, but it's also like the sloppiness doesn't like you know hurt anything. I I I fucking love this match. I thought it was so goddamn good. This quick, you know, under ten minutes, perfect, phenomenal match. Um, yeah, Quentin, what did you think of this one? Yeah, just a great way to a great way to open what wound up being you know a show a show of the year as we as, as we've laid out over the over the duration of this show. But like, yeah, this just set the tone so well and like with Azumi and Starlight Kid this is, what, this is about what you expect you expect them to come in, come in here and just set the tone for set the tone for an event and be a highlight even if they're the opening match on the card but like that's how talent that's how talented both of them are and then when you add in May Saruga and May Sarah to this knowing how, knowing how good both of them both of them can be too you had a recipe for something that was extremely fun so I thought I thought all of them had really really strong chemistry together and this was a really solid and really dope opener. Jay, feel free to give your uh, your thoughts on this. And yeah, 
Yeah, I uh, really like this opener. Uh, I liked it less than what people were reading about. Um, just because I really thought, um, I kind of saw that it was just going to be a setup for Maceira to challenge Azumi for the high speed title. So it was kind of a vehicle or introduce her back into into the stardom and and basically be next up for Azumi. But really, it was a really good match. Um, but I would, I. I I enjoyed. There was, I say, probably there was uh, on the main show. This is probably other than the tag team match was probably the one I enjoyed the least out of the main show. Um, I thought everything else on the show I I enjoyed more. Maybe uh, now I'm thinking about it. Maybe the Shuri Hashimoto match, but still really good match. But. Um, probably the least thing and and to me if i'm saying that as if that's like the second least on this on this show on the main show it's a really good fucking show like that's the thing if (laughs) if that's if that's my second least favorite match on the show it's a really good fucking show uh yeah can't argue with that um i mean i guess i can't argue because i said this was my number two favorite you know match on the show and you're saying it's number two worst or second from the bottom but whatever um, we already talked, I think we talked about the pre-show, but I, we've been going for so long at this point that I don't necessarily want to even reference it too much. The trios match that we, we kind of already mentioned was very good. The, the rumble was what it was. It was honestly one of the better rumbles that they've done in a bit. Um, you know, like I can't, uh, I can't necessarily like say anything other than a great show like from top to bottom i i thought that this was phenomenal i think again i talked about how much you know praise this is going to get or not even just how much praise it's going to get like how much people have already been talking about it podcast networks that don't normally talk about stardom are are having podcasts to talk about stardom specifically for this a lot of it has to do with obviously mercedes monet attracting people but I mean, this is what you do. You you take advantage of getting that attention by putting on a show like this and not you could have just main evented with the IWGP women's title match, right? And and I don't think anyone would have complained. Hardcore old school stardom fans wouldn't complain. New fans would expect it, but they didn't. They main evented with the red belt in the main event spot, the big match. Like we like I kept talking about the match, the rivalry, the feud that's built this company to where it's at now, to make sure that like all the new attention knows this is it. This is stardom. Like you can pay attention because of Mercedes, but when you're here, this is the top of the card. This is the champion. This is the title, right? So I really appreciated that. Um Quentin, if you have any other like big thoughts about the show overall, feel free. Uh, not on great. I mean, what can more can be said? Just uh, one of the best wrestling shows you'll see all year, probably. Uh, just really great and had some of the best moments in wrestling that'll probably happen in twenty twenty three. So, a home run show from Stardom. Uh, as you've said a bunch of times on here. Yeah, and and Jay, if you want to close out on your final thoughts on the show overall and anything else that maybe you think we missed or. You wanted to say before we go, um, in terms of the show, uh, in terms of ranking it, I guess it's, I don't know, like 
I know some people are saying this is the best Star Wars show ever. I can't disagree on it. Like, the Boonkin Hall show was really fucking good, though, from, from two years ago in 2021. Um, I know President Kadani has said that he wants to make this an annual thing um, in terms of an all-star all-star um, dream supercard thing. And it's going to be hard because um, in terms of supercards, you got to have at least four big marquee matches to put up up top to attract a big audience. And, um, hey, if they could, if they were able to do it, um, God bless them. Cause, um, it's going to get, it's going to get harder, but, but fans are coming back surely and slow, surely and slowly they're coming back and came back in a big way, drawing almost 6,000 people here, here in Yokohama. Um, and he did in, in a tweet, he did mention that, um, the second stage of stardom has begun um, because he's he's laid out a plan in terms of uh, um, where he wants stardom to go in, in several stages. Um, he has lofty goals, lofty goals. One of them is running the Tokyo Dome, and I think a lot of people still think like that's an insane thing to do. But um, if they are able to gain more momentum and have another two years of growth, where they are not just putting 6,000 people, but putting 10,000 people in Yokohama Arena and putting six or 8,000 people in Sumo Hall. It's not out of the realm of possibility that they can, they can run the dome. Like, they just have to keep building and building. And they've got the roster to do it. I mean, this is this is a great roster. And um, as long as they don't shoot themselves in the foot, and sometimes Storm does, and they trip themselves and do stupid shit, um, but every wrestling company does that. Just look at AEW and WWE does a bunch of that shit. Um, as long as they don't do that too many times, they could be on the goal. They could be on their goals to and on the ball to do whatever whatever goals they have in front of them. Mikadani thinks that they could be they could compete with New Japan and be right now they're they're statistically number two, but we might be in a couple of years talking about they really are the number two promotion in in Japan, and and it's by a wide margin. You know, it's getting it's getting really really good for them, and they're they're entering a period if they could secure Suzuki and increase revenue and able to bring in Mercedes more as a regular, and bring in you know with contracts coming up in the way that this UFC endeavor thing is going on, and and how. I could see where some of these wrestlers can be really can get frustrated, and you know, oh, yeah. with with you know, Io and Dakota Kai were thinking about coming to Stardom and had plans of motion coming to Stardom even last year. If they wasn't signed, um, I could easily see when contracts are coming up. You know, you know, Bailey, you know, well, um, Bailey saw this saw this show. She was insta she was insta snapping or insta. I'm living with this show on our Instagram page. Like, it's not a you know, it's not a room of possibility. Like that, the WWE locker room watches Stardom. You know, everybody, everybody around in the industry watches Stardom. You know, basically, and it's not a secret anymore. And they know they have money, and they can be presented as big stars, and have a have professionals set up that looks like the second coming of Wrestle Kingdom. You know, and. And for them, this was a big step and a big win for them. And we'll see what the future holds. But if they continue on this path, it could get scary for them. Like, 
in a good way <laughs> for the rest for for them you know so yeah, that's and, my piece well and you know you're talking about that and all this but even just recently like you know shanna baszler and you know her and dakota kai are like good good friends and roommates we'll say um like shana posted something where she was like officially like i i'm no longer allowed to post you know she was basically like kind of griping about the the situation that is coming to a head when it comes to what she's allowed to do on twitch versus youtube and her like social media all this and that and like we already talked about it but shana in stardom in 2015 was already they clearly saw something there and she was getting over and then now she's had however many years of actually being on tv and presented as a star and you talk about japan and people talk about enokiism and all this and that but in japan like wrestling fans across the board respect like legitimate background and a former mma you know ufc fighter or someone like shuri being you know instantly respected in professional wrestling because of her background like like you could say like oh my god you know mercedes the biggest possible star that they could sign but like in japan Shayna could be just as big for them like mm -hmm. i mean when you really look at it in the context of japanese wrestling and the culture there like Shayna could be a huge fucking deal for them and her her roommate her best friend and roommate um wanting to go back and and her seemingly being upset about you know what what wwe is allowing her to do i mean god if she jumped back to stardom like she could be a huge difference maker for them um so yeah like we talk about like what are we looking at when it comes to the future here for stardom it's like it's it's bright it's very bright because they're all paying attention they all see what's going on here and they're like jesus christ we could actually make something here um before we leave i guess Again, shout out to Koru for the notes. I love it. Um, he mentioned a match. Uh, Osasan, Naki Sakurajima, and Hitamoro Sasaki and Kota Omeno from a uh, Kyushu Pro show on 416. Highly recommends everyone check it out. I'll recommend a tag team match that I got to see live. As soon as it's on tape, I'll let everyone you know, know. Violence is Forever versus West Coast Wrecking Crew. I mean... I was tweeting about it. I was losing my mind, but like, Jesus Christ, talk about a dream match for me in person. Like, oh my God, I'm not going to even try to break it down. I'm just going to tell everyone like this could be, it could be a match of the year level match for me. Um, a lot of that might be live bias, but when that's available on tape, of course, I'll you, you just follow me and you'll see me talk about it. Um, any other final thoughts before we head out? Jay, Quentin, um, and then I think we're good for the evening. Uh, nah, uh, as always, thank you for uh joining us, JML. Do you want to uh plug your Twitter or anything else before you get before we head out? Uh, yeah, I'll plug the Twitter. Uh, you can find me at the JML at underscore and and also, you know what, I'll plug. <laughs> I, I always, I always try, I always say, don't for me not to plug myself, but um, the plug the project that I'm currently doing, it's the uh, Wrestling Observer um, Hall of Fame tracker. It's not Hall of Fame season yet, but it'll ramp up soon. I always say that, but like sooner than <laughs> sooner than later, it'll be we'll be in the middle of September, October, and Hall of Fame seasons will be popping up soon, and everybody will start throwing out their takes of who's a Hall of Famer or whatnot. But 
Um, follow that account, uh, WHONHOF Tracker. Again, it's WONHOF Tracker, as long as Twitter's still around. Um, and follow that account. We are we track public ballots for the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame. Um, been a fun exercise, interesting insight, because a lot of people um, that I didn't think were voters are voters, and very a lot of wrestlers and um commentators and industry insiders they're they're part of part of this community and and kind of debunks um be dave being in the mud and sort of speak in terms of that because they all talk to dave and um and whatnot and they treat this hall of fame seriously whereas i don't think wwe does (laughs) treats their own hall of fame so (laughs) Um, just follow that account and follow if you want to follow me personally. It's the JML underscore. Um, I had a tweet thread the night of, um, the, of of the the Stardom Yokohama Arena show, just drawing back the the significance of Yokohama Arena, how Joshi Wrestling has been tied to Yokohama Arena ever since basically the year it opened, dating back to the Chigusa Nagayo original retirement show in 1989, where. Um, Medusa faced uh, Linus Asuka with Nick Bockwinkle as a special guest referee. So um, just dating back, it's a, it was an informal um, spur of the moment thread thing that just spiraled, and I worked typed it out for hours up until up until the show time, and then I fell asleep and crashed. And so, if you want to go check that out, uh, I might just pin that um, as my pinned tweet. So. I know I've got a lot of likes and retweets and appreciate everybody doing that. It was just spur in a moment thing. Uh, I, re- I really want to write something long form if they run another Yokohama arena show again, but there you go. And I'm trying to wrap this up. <laughs> We've gone long into the night and, and <laughs> trying not to wrap up, trying to not to mon- monopolize the time. So. Uh, Jay, always thank you so much. Obviously, we really appreciate you being on here. And and the whole point of having you on as a guest is to take over. So thank you as always. And Quentin, feel free to close it out for everyone. uh, You can follow me on Twitter at QT underscore Moody. You can follow Tim at Our Wish Dutch. You can follow the podcast network at WDKWPN. And if you're feeling as so kind to, you can fund our trip to go watch the stardom grand prix in person um i don't know months away however long away still though like would be nice to go watch the best promotion in the world in person i guess so you can fund a trip to go do that uh thank you all for listening i hope you're next time